previously on Anything Goes. Yeah, it's 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 a great career. And you know what? I think there are going to be a lot more sexologists out there right. in the next five or ten years. And I also believe we're going to need less of us because I think there's a lot more conversations going on. And I, I do think the Internet overall has created more a more... A better wealth of information. There is really good information out there. Of course, there's still misinformation. And, and, what, nonsense. and what about the elderly? Because as we are growing a much older population in Canada, it's skewing much older. Mm-hmm. And with this wealth of information, they're not used to having that information. And, well, and fuck pills are new too. So I mean, yeah. like just that like, has changed everything. Yeah, yeah, the little blue pills have changed. Well, right. it's it's so 50% of my clientele is actually over 50. Wow. Yeah, because they're the ones who have the resources and make it a priority. And they they are so empowered. They're the right. ones who are saying, you know, a lot of young people say, I don't need anything what can she teach me that i don't already know right, right. you well, know yeah. they know everything yeah right oh, you can always learn more ram though. it like a jackhammer they i know like, everything. Yeah, I yeah, like yeah. learning more about sex i definitely do but and, he, I, he, and you, so when you do you teach seniors how to like not break a hip if they get into like an <laughs> eiffel tower with two dudes no but i do teach i do teach them like how to adjust positions if they yeah. have injuries and that's people of all age but what we see is hiv and stis are actually on the rise in senior populations so we need yes. do they give a, do they care about that though anymore of i mean course. if you're 80 and you get the hiv what's the big deal oh my gosh <laughs> no seriously though yes Come it, on. it's a big deal and now let's get to a new exciting show Guess which host has to start their car with a breathalyzer? This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. How the fuck am I funny? And Dave Martin. What have we got here? Fucking comedian. Can you dig it? Good time. I feel weird saying good afternoon, good evening, or good night, or... uh, Anyways, the point is that you're listening to us. This is Anything Goes for the week of October 30th. <laughs> yes. And uh, here to enjoy, uh, we're actually, Darren and I, we, we taped a, a bunch of shows uh, while we were in uh, Ottawa. And uh, as much as this is the week of October 30th, we had, uh, yeah, we recorded uh, some interviews. And we actually got a chance to sit down with the uh, legendary Mike McDonald. And it was a, a very long conversation. We covered uh, many aspects of his career from the beginning of his career uh, in Ottawa and Toronto all the way up to Los Angeles and his health issues. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of ground we covered, and uh, there's a lot to cover, so we're not going to spend too much time uh, talking. We're going to go right to the interview. Uh, this is uh, Mike McDonald. Uh, spoken to him just uh, about two weeks ago uh, from Ottawa, Ontario. This is Anything Goes for the week of October 30th. Enjoy. Yeah. Now, one, of the, one of the things uh, I, I put out that you're going to be on the show, we got a lot of, a lot of questions that we're going to be going through from a lot of comics that actually got in touch with me. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is is the early days, like at the very beginning of like when you were in Toronto and you're doing the Super Club, and it, it really probably did seem, not to put words in your mouth, but any comic I talked from that era felt it was very much us against the world. There wasn't that many of you guys in kind of a pack, and it was just kind of your world for the taking. Did you really feel that way back then? Um, not so much that, as opposed to it was me against the other half. Right. Of the comics. Because when I got there, I was this new kid from Ottawa, 23 years old, that Mark gave feature to right away after my first performance. Right. And so all those comics were upset. Sure. And, uh, you know, on an average night at Yucks, there would be like eight acts on before the headliner. 
and the eight acts that would go on, half of them would try to block me with material subject matter. Right. Knowing that I would talk about this, they would go out there and talk about it first. But it backlashed because all it made me do was write more material. And, and then they got to the point where they said, oh, we're not going to stop this guy that way. So, right. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> and was that back in the original kind of six or yeah, eight days? That, yeah. yeah, that was like uh, back in the uh, 80, 81. You know, when I first moved to Toronto and started living there and stuff, the half, half of them hated me. But, but then I started to get my own crew, like people like Lawrence Morgenstern, Ron Baudry, Howard Nemitz, Simon Rakoff. They joined my crew. Right. And then it was us against them. Right. And then when Yuck Yucks got a liquor license, half those acts that were there before couldn't handle the liquor up people. Right, the booze hounds and but the talking crew, and the my noise. They came in with oh, Richard Pryor's The Man, the first right. concert series, uh, you know, that, that first concert show movie. Uh, that's the blueprint. And we came out and said, no, no, you're drunk? No, no, you know, you're not controlling the show. We'll fuck you. Get right. out. <laughs> right. Know? It's like, yeah, so we, uh, we uh, split the boys from the men there. And we were talking before we started about influences and how you find it funny when, yeah. when comics talk about influences and they yeah. say, you know, Pryor or Pryor, Carlin, Carlin or, or that. You know, in, in my generation, all the way going back to Carson and stuff, everybody sure. that we saw when we were growing up, Red Skeleton, John Jack Boy, Parr, whatever. Jonathan Winters, you know, it, all that. But the first subversive influence that we all forget, and the, the thing for me at five years old was the first thing that told me that life didn't have to be taken seriously was Bugs Bunny. Right. That was the thing, man. It was like after Bugs Bunny, all the trouble I got into, like in public school. Don't write it on your desk. Is it okay to print? Bang! On strap, <laughs> you know, boom. Right. You know, you know, my father sitting at the dinner table one time. Pass me the butter. Where do you want it? Your face or your plate? <laughs> boom! You know, to the bed with no supper. <laughs> you know, it's like Bugs Bunny. I had no choice after I watched Bugs. What the hell I was gonna do for the rest of my life? It was, had to be a smart-ass comedian. I can't be as smart as anything else. I've heard that before. That like Bugs Bunny was like like the one of the original rebels of just like, oh, yeah. and then Elmer Fudd and this yeah. and the. Isn't it amazing though? Like I've heard like uh, people talk about how they like they edit those cartoons now now anymore. You're like, well, yeah. you like you you can't yeah. see Bugs Bunny. Uh, or yeah, Daffy Duck doesn't get shot in the face anymore. Yeah, all of a sudden, like there is no Speedy Gonzales anymore. And the, the no racism is completely yeah. taken out of it. Taken out of it totally. All, yeah. all the politi politically correct uh, ven yeah. venues and stuff. Yeah, that's all been taken out on certain channels. But uh, you you can still like if you look hard enough, you can still find the originals, and, and those are the ones to get and to keep because they're hilarious. Yeah. When did you go from uh, going doing normal shows to doing three-hour shows? That's one um, of the things people always, whenever I bring yeah, you up weird. with anyone who was yeah. around for that generation, yeah. there was all, oh, the thing about Mike McDonald is he could come out and do three hours. <laughs> it was all original. Then the next night, he'd do another five hours and it would be totally different. <laughs> and then the next night, he'd do 12 hours. And I'm like, oh, my God, uh, this is... I have to admit, there, there, was, there was a period where I was pretty cocky there and... Uh, uh, my late 20s, early 30s. I think where, every comic goes through that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would go out like on a Friday night, two shows. Yeah. First show, I'd do an hour. The second show, I'd do a different hour. Right. The comics would go, oh, man. i go, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Showing off. Sure. You know? But uh, on the other side of it, too, it was also, I, I, I couldn't understand like guys like Jerry Seinfeld who did the exact same inflections, exact same, everything was exactly the same right. every time. Because for me, half the time when I did the other material or changed the shows, it was just because I was bored. You right. know, I was tired of doing the jokes. Well, there's a reason many people compare comedy to jazz, yeah. right? Because of that improvisation and, and the changing yeah. of it. And, and then sometimes I would find, you know, about halfway through my career, I was finding the problem was 
people would come with their friends to see me again and they tell their friends about a bet that I did right. and I wouldn't do it and they go oh, how come you didn't do that bet so I about about halfway through my career I figured out the best thing was uh, like I'd have times where I'd come in and I'd do a bit that would maybe be two minutes but by the time I came back to that club six months later that two minute bit was now a five minute bit right so I had the best of both worlds they, yeah, yeah. They, they knew the familiar first part but then they'd go oh wow the new oh there's a new part oh wow great so their friends and everybody would be happy all at the same time and it was like I, I, I had the analogy of uh, like trimming the uh, what's the uh, bonsai tree or whatever you know the, oh uh, yeah i can't remember called? i know the tree yeah. you're talking about yeah, yeah the karate kid yeah shit, yes know? a bonsai tree it is, bonsai it is a bonsai tree, tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay good I don't. I don't know when I'm correct. <laughs> well, it was sort of like, what's the name bonsai of that bonsai tree? tree? No, I bonsai. thought you meant the technique of cutting it. I thought there was a special term. Yeah. I wasn't sure. But you know what I mean? It's the trimming of the hip. It's the same tree, but little trims here and there. Right. You know, so you change it up each time you go back. But you know, the weird thing now is, you know, there was a point in my recovery from my liver transplant, at least four months into it, where I thought I'd never do this again. And now the stuff I'm doing, uh, the longest I've been on stage in the last three weeks has been 30 minutes. And it's 30 minutes of brand new stuff because I can't remember the old stuff. I would have to go back and learn it just like, you know, the Rolling Stones. They have to rehearse Jumpin' Jack yes. Flash before they go out on tour of course, because of they course. forget. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? How's that going? Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. When I have to do a clean yeah. show, I have to watch yeah. my Kami Now yeah. or my first DVD of all the cleaner stuff yeah. that I do. And to me, it's... It's just paying the rent. There's no art yeah. in that. It's just you're doing a show. It's an acting yeah. gig, whatever. But that's all it is. But it's amazing how you have to learn it again. Yes. It's like weird. Okay, that's part one of our interview with Mike McDonald. Stay tuned. After the break, we continue it. This is Anything Goes for the week of October 30th. Happy Halloween. Like, yeah, we're missing it. We're, miss we're in fucking Calgary right now. Yeah. Uh. Hi, this is Mike Cliff, comedian, and you're listening to Anything Goes with Darren Frost. Fuck him. While staying in Toronto, the guests of Anything Goes stay wherever the hell they want. Isn't it enough that they let them on the show and plug whatever crap they're up to? This is Anything Goes. All right, we're back from the break. Uh, this is anything. <laughs> we're go back from the break. You want to go faster? Yeah, I know it's, it's the Polar Bear Express, which I think has a, a bunch of different names too, depending yeah. on what carnival you're at. Yes. And uh, oh man, there was one. I went to like one like big carnival fair thing, and and for the swing ride, that like at one point they were playing like John Lennon's Imagine, <laughs> which is the most appropriate, inappropriate song to swing like you know forty feet off the air, yeah. and it was just like. It just didn't have like a groovy. It just didn't have like a rock no, and roll vibe from a swing. No, you're wrong. When, yeah. when John Lennon sat down and wrote "Imagine," he thought of all the wars and all the tragedies, and he thought if only the children could just have their time in a swing and live that moment, then that would be a true beautiful world. So I think there's not a more fitting song for the swing ride at a carnival. Yeah, they could get off and the, the swing ride and barf up their corn dogs right. and, and remember the and words pops. and remember the words of John Lennon. Uh, this is uh, I, we're going to uh, back to our interview with Mike McDonald yes. that we did out of the nation's capital. Um, here we go. Here's more Mike. But, you know, so I, I, I'm and how much of your stuff do you actually have? Do you think? I mean, I know you have the, the Showtime special and the CBC stuff, but I mean, how much uh, of your act do you probably 
have that you could sit down and maybe go, okay, this is – I know you put the bootleg CD out last year and yeah. that, that was out, but um, – I mean, you may have an amount of like a Carlin, but you probably don't have it documented, right? Uh, no, probably of, not, but uh, certainly not as much as Carlin. Carlin was prolific sure. beyond, beyond belief when you think of it because he had uh, – he's double digits into his specials yes. alone. Yes, yes. And uh, by the way, his memoir, the the book, uh, yeah, last words, last words, yes, I mean, that was like a bible for me. I read it in two sittings, and I went, oh my god. He even mentions the time he went to Yuck Yucks, which yes, which I was there that night, and it was like, oh man, it was hilarious. Like it was like, thank God that I reacted the right way with Carlin because I had blew it about a month earlier with Pryor in L.A. He had he had been going on stage and. Uh, doing stuff about uh, the movie he was in, Superman 3. So my friend said, Briar's at the comedy store every night. Let's go. I can introduce you. And I go, oh, man. So we're watching him. He's really funny and everything. And then my friend introduces me to him afterwards. And I go, hey, you know that bit you do about the kryptonite ring? What you could say at the end is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he just looks at me and goes, what the? F-? And he had yeah. that look like, who the, the fuck? fuck are you to yeah. tell me anything? Yeah. And, and I just realized in a second, oh, my God, he doesn't realize that I'm the student with the professor that I based my whole career and thesis on right. his, his teachings, and I just want to return the favor. Of course, saying, yeah. I thank you. so, uh, And I just backed away, and I went, oh, my God. So, uh, you know, four nights in a row, I, I'd be watching his act, and he'd come off, and he'd walk by in the hallway, and I'd just look at him and go, eh, nod, and go, very, very funny, very, all of it, very funny. Right. And he'd just look at me every night. Finally, uh, on the sixth night, the night before I had to leave to go back to Toronto, uh, I get to the comedy store too late to see his set. And I go, oh, he finished already? Ah, oh, son of a bitch. And I'm walking in the hallway, and I walk past the stairwell, and there he is sitting there contemplating whatever has happened. And I look at him, and he looks up, and he knows it's me, and I look at him, and I go, you again? And <laughs> nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Left, not, and yeah. I go, oh, my God. And I'm on the plane telling a complete stranger, yeah. I blew it with my icon, <laughs> my, Richard Pryor. my fucking hero, you know. And, but the George Carlin thing was great. He walks into the club and everybody swarms him. And from my prior experience, I said, "Literally, that, yeah, yeah, literally." I sit there and I go, "No, I'm going to be a sniper. I'm going to wait for my shot. I'm right? Not, I'm not going to swarm this guy with a with a machine gun." Everybody's on him, George, oh, Mr. Carlin, Mr. Carlin. And Larry Horowitz says, "You want to go on?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. We're gonna go on." And he goes, "But um, does anybody have anything to you know smoke? I mean, like." So Larry Horowitz turns around and he goes, oh, can anybody get George a joint? George needs a joint before he goes on. And I pop up and I go, oh, it's George now? What is it, two <laughs> seconds ago? It's Mr. Carlin. Now we're on a first name yeah. basis. Can anybody get George yeah. a joint? George needs a joint. And I look over and Carlin's laughing. And eventually the joint comes. There's people all around him. I'm standing far away. He takes a puff, he looks around, and then he gives me the joint. And right. And I go, great. But then half the comics, oh, that fucking McDonald's, how's he doing? And I was the guy that walked Carlin out to the to the curb to get a cab, talking to him by myself and all the other comics. What the fuck? Who the fuck? How does he do it every fucking time? <laughs> Look, it was just this one. Look, Pryor, I told you about Pryor. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was bad. <laughs> but I lucked out on Carlin. But you know, I, I've had, I've had, my, you know, I always do the wrong thing when I meet celebrities. Like, I remember uh, back in the day when they had the thing called the Cable Ace Awards before yep. HBO and Showtime yes. was allowed to go on the Emmys. Yeah. 
So Dick Clark's producing the show. I'm, I'm up for, I think it was my uh, second special, My House, My Rules. Where, and he said, you know. That, that was on Showtime. That's yeah. why the cable Showtime sports. Showtime and, yes. and yeah. CBC yeah, yeah. up here. And uh, he says, you know, that routine you do about the remote controls, oh, it'd be perfect for our show. And I go, oh, yeah, great. So I'll do five minutes to get paid well, blah, blah, blah. I'm backstage. Christopher Reeves, before the accident. Okay. You know? He's nice dressed, tuxedo sure. and everything. He walks up to me and goes, oh, very funny. He puts out his hand to shake my hand. As soon as his hand touches mine, I go, oh, 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 oh Superman, oh. <laughs> yeah. And I fall to the ground. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Did he laugh? He, he looked at me like oh. I just raped his daughter, and he walked away like pissed. And I went, oh, oh, oh come I, on. Why couldn't I just say thank you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I had come to on, go, oh, funny. Superman, oh, Superman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you have to always think, like, how many people do might do that joke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it, it's, it's kind of like that thing. You know, you meet when people meet comics, and they want them to be on all oh, the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're just sort of like, oh. Or, you know, it's yeah. that old, uh, it's, oh, hey, tell me a joke. It's like, I'm not working right now. And or someone seeing, seeing Samuel L. Jackson going, I don't remember telling you a goddamn thing. He's yeah. like, holy fuck, yeah. really? Yeah. It's the same thing when I uh, it was uh, Comic Relief. We're hanging out in the back, and I, I couldn't go on Comic Relief because they said, that's an HBO show, your showtime. Oh, okay. Oh, son of a bitch. What about Tim yeah. Allen? Well, he's been, you know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so he's Politics. in another echelon. All right. He's in the Millionaire's Club. I'm not. All right, fine. So I'm hanging out, but, you know, at least they let me go and hang out. So I'm hanging out, and I'm at the bar getting a bottle of water, and David Crosby comes up. And I look at him, I go, David Crosby, oh, this is amazing. You owe me a couple of brain cells. <laughs> and he looks at me like Christopher Reeve. What the? And he walks in and I go, what are the chances someone's going to break your balls at a yeah. comic relief? Come on, it's comic relief. Please. Yeah. It's like somebody showing you a chord at the fucking folk festival. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Fuck. Relax. What do you think of this chord? <laughs> Get away from me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I did the same, I did the same thing on, remember Joy Behar from The View? Sure, of course. She, at one point. Big comic uh, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Back in the 90s, she had a syndicated show out of New York. Okay. And it was just like a little mini Letterman thing. Right. Know? And her band leader was Rick Derringer. Remember oh, Rick Oh, of course, Derringer? Rick Derringer, yeah. Rock, Rock and Roll, roll Hoochie Coo, yeah. one of the great uh, sure. classic rock songs played with Johnny Winter, Edgar Winter. He's the band leader. So I come out to do my five-minute bit on the show, and I go, before I start, ladies and gentlemen, I just have to say, Rick Derringer, man, this is, oh, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, man, I know all your stuff, Johnny Winter, Edgar, oh, this is, you owe me a couple of brain cells. And like we had planned it, he goes on his guitar, he goes, whoop, yeah. Like a rim shot on the guitar. Right. And I go, oh, man. And I was in. Yeah, you know, yeah. The audience, oh, this guy's funny. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But he knew. He, Lived he went in the moment. Crowd loves yeah. it when you live in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. He went with it like like I planned it. You know, it was amazing. But, yeah. But uh, one of my favorite things I, I love doing is uh, if somebody introduced me to the wife or girlfriend, I was go, oh, hi, hi, doing very nice to meet you. And then I turn to the guy and go, boy, you weren't kidding. And then I walk <laughs> away. <laughs> What did you say to him? I didn't say anything. Why would he say that? If he, yeah. He's crazy. Don't listen. And, I, and the other one I love doing is uh, I did this uh, just for last one year. Uh, they had Pussy there. It was the, the guy from The Sopranos that yep, got whacked yep. in the first season. He was there. The, uh, they had him hosting the Goomba show, which, you know. All Italian show, yeah. Not a great leap in thought there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
the who can we get the hey let's get that guy yeah all right so he's 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 in the hotel in the lobby you know being swarmed by people autographs pictures and everything i see him across the way i get his eye and i go ah, huh huh and i walk up and he's nodding and i'm going oh man this is a oh this is so cool to be able to meet you the godfather one of my favorite movies of all time <laughs> without a beat he goes oh, i wasn't in the godfather i know but it's one of my favorite movies of all time did he laugh <laughs> oh yeah okay like, good. at first he looked at me and i said hey come on what are your chances of getting your balls broken at the comedy yeah. festival bada bing bada boom i got you pussy and he went all right and he yeah yeah, me, yeah, yeah, was, yeah everything was cool did the same joke james taylor at okay. the airport he's looking he's waiting for his bag i come up to him and i go Oh, this is amazing. James Taylor. Oh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. One of my favorites <laughs> of all time. Did he laugh or no? No, he goes, I uh, I didn't write that song. And I go, I know, but it's one of my favorite songs of all time. And and then he continues. He goes, but I didn't write that. And then I explain, I'm a comic. I do this. I say this. You say that. And yeah. it's a joke. And, and he's still bewildered. He yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah, understand yeah, yeah. it. And I go, well, sometimes it'd be nice if you had a friend that got the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once at uh, 2005, just for last, I was there and at the Delta, and they had a little convenience store inside the Delta, and I'm oh, waiting yeah, in line, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Dom Herrera's behind me, and he goes, hey, you're at the fest, too? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, uh, how old are you? And I said, I was like you know, 35, 36. And he goes, uh, you on the road a lot? I said, well, I don't go on the road a lot because of my family, you know. Uh, I got to be careful with my family. And he goes, what? He goes, it looked like I was a fucking idiot. And I'm like, well, you know, my family. He goes, oh, oh, I thought you said your fans. You didn't go on your road with your fans. I'm like, no, oh, you're fucking kids now. And he just fucking starts laughing. And I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, because of my fans. I, yeah. They don't deserve me that much. That's right. Only in small spurts. I go on the road four days in max. That's it. I try to stay away from it. Yeah, you know, Not at least a 10-foot ten, ten distance, you know. Too many at a time. It's yeah. A real drag. Look what happened to Christopher Reeve. He's in a wheelchair. I don't want that shit. I want he's superman so <laughs> you there, how many years in a row did you do just for last year like 24 uh, or something i think uh, if you want to get technical i think it was 23 years in a row and then there was a gap of three or four years and then and then you went last back year i went back they uh, had a uh, benefit for me right i plan to go back this year i can't wait to do my uh family feud dead hooker bit to close <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's gonna be great man <laughs> can't wait one of the things I found there, and because you had you probably done it as much as you have, you're in a different category. First of all, you know, for obvious reasons, but because you've been in so much, I don't think they would probably – do they still pester you on what your material would be? I mean, for a lot of Canadians, um, they kind of groom you and they want certain jokes uh, to do a gala. But when you're doing it 20 years in a row, I'm pretty sure they just were like, hey, Mike, what are you going to talk yeah, about? It, it, you it, give them some it, basics yeah, and that's it, it. It got to a point where they, they didn't bother me at all. Because uh, they knew that I didn't have a, a secret agenda. Like, I wasn't going out there to shock people or sure. break the rules. And right. I, I was going out there with the attitude is, I'm going to give the editor a break here. Right. I'm not going to have him sit there for 16 hours and ed edit my set and take out audio, drop every bad word or whatever. Right. You know, so, so they, they pretty well left me alone after a while. Because, I mean, really, if you think about it, 23 gallows, I mean, at seven minutes, that's almost like 150 minutes just that alone. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. That's a lot. And all those Showtime specials and the CBC yeah. specials. Yeah, I think, yeah, if you put it, I could probably round up easily six hours of material without blinking. I mean, one of the reasons I started doing the amount of DVDs that I, I put out, just my fourth, 
is because I, I hung out with Kenny Robinson a lot the last couple of years. Yeah. And the guys I kind of looked up to were guys that uh, really put out a lot of material. And just from hanging out with them in the beginning years, finding out that they either forgot jokes or, oh, yeah. you know, they don't have copies of that, yeah, even TV shows the they were part. on or yeah. any of that, right? Yeah. And they're like, people come up to them and go, hey, Kenny, remember you used to do this bit about this? And they kind of know. Yeah. I'm even that way with shit that's on my DVDs, but I can always just kind of go and just put it in and go, oh, right, I used right. to do that, you know? Yeah. But I always found that one of the sad downfalls of our business is like there's hours of stuff that is just kind of gone. Yeah. Especially in the internet world now, it's just like, you know, everyone's focus is not going to be on that. Only you can really control yeah. it. Sometimes, you know, there's one thing that you just reminded me of. I haven't thought about it in a while. But there was this kid in uh, New York about 20, 25 years ago. I had this big, uh, at least a 10-minute bet on uh, Charlie Manson getting his, trying to get the parole with the swastika on his right. head and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I had a big, long bet, 10 minutes. I'm sitting in Catch a Rising Star one night watching just a bunch of comics, and uh, this one guy gets on. He's not very funny, but in the middle of his act, he goes, blah, blah, blah. He mentions Charlie Manson, and he goes, that's my first of... Uh of th that's my first reference to Charlie uh, Manson as per the three that he has instructed me to do tonight. You know, that kind <laughs> yeah, of you know, yeah. tagline. And I came up to him afterwards. I said, oh, man, I got this... Charles Manson bit, you know, how much you want for that line, man? I'll give, I'll give, anything you want, I'll give it to you. And he looked at me like I was going to steal his kid, like it was Sophie's Choice. It was right. like, what the next for the kid? Da, da, yeah, man. Right. Yeah, and uh, I said, oh, yeah, don't worry, I'm not going to steal it. I just, you know, I put it out there. He said no, okay. But now I always wonder. I've never seen that guy again. Sure. He's never progressed any level yes. of, 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 you know, of knowing on any circle. And I wonder, you know, the guy probably doesn't even do it anymore. And right. that line's just floating in the universe going, fuck. It was a great line, and it's yeah. not done. But yeah. you know, it always amazes me when I see guys like that with one good joke. But it, I guess it's the same thing as, as bands. With yeah, with one-hit one wonders, yeah. One-hit wonders. Yeah, I, for a brief second, I thought you were going to say, and Charles Manson walked into the club, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and he happened to see me do my one bit, and then he came up to me afterwards, and then I screwed it up with Charles Manson. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when, when did you realize that there was um, problems like serious health problems. I mean, you've been very open about your drug addictions in the past and, and uh, some of your and other issues thing, and bipolar yeah. and, and yeah. mental health issues. But when was it a physical thing that you realized this might not be something that's just a couple pills and keep getting it on was stage? About, it was about two, two and a half years ago. I started to, uh, you know, be a little lethargic, slurring my words a little bit. I, I would drop the occasional glass or plate, which was very unusual for my wife to see, you know. And some people would probably think that's diabetes because those are all yeah. things that are very yeah, diabetic. that kind of thing. But she knew something was up. So when I got the call to come up to Ottawa to see my father, who was in the hospital, my mother phoned me and said, hey, you, you better come up. It's serious. And I knew it was serious because she phoned me in the first place because the year before that he had had a heart attack. But they didn't tell me. When I found out, they said, well, we didn't want to bother you. We, we yeah. knew you were at a club in Vancouver that week. And what's the, yeah. you know, who cares about the yeah. club? Yeah. But that you club's know. only open one weekend, Mike. We know yeah. that. It you closes know, the rest yeah. of the year. Yeah. It, it, it's like uh, that generation, you know. So I, I knew it was serious. So I was packing to come up to see my dad. And my wife goes, when you go up there, go see a doctor because you've been acting weird. And at first they thought it was over-medication uh, for my bipolar thing, which, ironically, the Toronto doctors immediately said, you're on the wrong medication. Right. <laughs> and they, oh, okay. Gee, the American, and that was prescribed American, by your American yeah, doctors. American right. doctors were wrong? Hey, what a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Kill surprise. 
So, yeah, and uh, I went for a physical, and they said, ah, oh, there's a couple of weird things with your blood counts here. We want to do a couple more tests. And then they came back, yeah, you got hep C and cirrhosis. So you didn't even know hep C until that moment? Like you only yeah. found out two and a half years yeah. ago what hep C? Sclerosis of the liver, it's bad. Okay. And uh, immediately my parents went, you, you can't go back. You can't go back. No, yeah, America. yeah, yeah. You have to stay here. Yes. So I, I ended up living in my parents' old place. For a year and a half, while my wife tried to finish the renovations on her house and uh, sell it and join me. Right. And ironically, we had both decided that we wanted to move back to Ottawa in the first place before I even heard about my dad. And and that was weird because, you know, my wife and I got to that point where we said, you know, we should have moved back to Canada when Bush got reelected. That's when it started getting really weird down there. Right. And, uh, you know, we said, we're long overdue. We've got to get back. And so it was just ironic that uh, we had chosen Ottawa to begin with. Now, up to that point, not to cut you off, how much of your, just in a rough percentage, do you think oh, your stand-up was south of the border versus north? Like, how much was in America still? It was all, you know, throughout my career, the majority always up to anywhere from 60% to 95% has always been in Canada. Right, okay. Always. So it does make sense for you to live here, maybe jet down to do the oh, odd yeah. gig. I yeah, I mean, you know, paying taxes in both countries and everything. Yeah. Not that I got a lot of it, thank God. But I did get a couple of weird uh, comments when I first got sick, first asking for help. Blah, blah, people, oh, you just came back to Canada because it's free health care. No, fuck you. First I'm, of all, if, who cares? I got a Canadian passport. <laughs> yeah. I never changed my citizen. Yeah. I always pay taxes here. Always that would be the same here. motherfucker that would be in California, yeah. break their arm, and fuck it, I'm getting on a plane. Even though I lived in uh, Glendale, California, right. just outside of L.A., you know, when you count up the hours, I spent more time in Canada always. So right. fuck you on that one. So you but, found out you got Hep C two and a half years ago. Your health deteriorated to a point that you know it yeah, got well, very scary. Last last January, my doctors literally said you have two two and a half months to live without a transplant. And at the time, I was going, well, I'm checking out these alternative methods. Nothing's going to work for you. I've got an acupuncture. No, that nah, won't work. They couldn't have pushed me harder to get on the list if they were on commission. So, you know, I mean, I said, okay, fine, I got on the list. But I was surprised because two and a half months later, there's the phone call. Like, you're supposed to be packed and ready to go within eight hours to get from Ottawa to Toronto for the right. transplant. I hadn't even packed because I thought, ah, there's no way I'm going to get one this soon. Right. It'll take at least six months to a year. I've heard people waiting two years for a transplant. You, know, you never know. But man, that phone call came in in March, and boom, you, you have eight hours to get here, or we have to give it to somebody else. Oh, thank God my wife you know, could pack me up and put me in a car and drove me to Toronto. And, and I do this in my act now, and it's true. Uh, on the way to Toronto, my brother broke the news on Facebook that I was going to Toronto. Yeah, I remember this, yeah. And I start getting all these emails, notifications on the phone. You know, God bless, good for you, great news. But, but a couple of them, the only reason you're getting a new liver so fast is because you're a fucking celebrity. <laughs> and I went, oh, man, it really bummed me out. I mean, really, a lot of guilt. Right. And until I got to Toronto. <laughs> and I met the transplant team. They asked me what I did for a living. And I said, you know, I told them. 
And they said, oh, really? Have you, yeah. ever, have you ever been on the TV? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I go, yeah, okay, I'm just next. Yeah, right. of course, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the great part about this system. There is no manipulating your place in right. line. There's all these protocols you got to go through. That e- even the size of the organ has to match, you know, right. let alone the blood type and viability. Wh- whether you can survive the surgery or not is an important factor. And just how sick you are, the next guy on the list. There's all kinds of protocols that have to be met. Well, it is pretty amazing. No one jumps the line, and that, that's what's cool about Canada. No one, you know, right. it doesn't matter. There's if, no two-tiered system. If you system. have a zillion dollars, yeah, you can hire your own team to come in and do it, but you can't go to a fucking hospital and take over. Right. Uh, what is pretty amazing, the last time me and Dave were here, I think, was last, was it last fall? Because uh, we saw uh, you, and, I mean, uh, you know, I, don't, I just want to be blunt. You looked really bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You looked really bad. I mean, oh. you were very like walking, slow. Like, yeah, walking dead. Yeah, like walking dead. Yeah. Like, it's, un- it's unbelievable. Dead man walking. Just seeing you now. And, I mean, David said that he had seen you at the Canadian well, Comedy Awards. I saw you at the Comedy Awards, yeah. and I was like, oh, my God. It was yeah. like. It's not even the same person. It wasn't yeah. even the same guy. And I, I could mean, even tell just from talking to you on the phone. Yeah. I was like, I even said to David, it's like, it doesn't even sound like the same guy. It's weird. It, it is, it is very bizarre. weird for how short period of time yeah. that it's really been. Yeah, and I mean, you've kind of had these ebbs and flows, not to the same extent, but I mean, you were you were dr- addicted to drugs, you got off drugs, yeah. uh, issues with bipolar. People were and, surprised about the drug thing, right? And and people you ripped you, me off, at and you become religious yeah. in the last probably ten well, years. Well, I, I I hate the word religious because. I am against all organized religion. Okay, that's because well, that's a all, that's a good start. They're but, all yeah. like a you know they have people within the religions that demonstrate the total opposite of what they're supposed to be acting like. Of course. So I hate that hypocrisy. But as far as a spiritual person, yeah, I happen to believe in God and I happen to believe in Jesus Christ. But I don't want to get in an argument with somebody. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to uh, prove it. But, yeah, yeah. Well, let's just, I'm betting on this, you bet on whatever, and when we die, that's when we'll know. But what's, <laughs> right? what's really that's interesting. That's when we all fucking find out. Yeah. All right? What's really interesting, if you compare it to like the rock world or the music world, whenever a band stops doing drugs or they find yeah. Jesus, yeah. all of a sudden their <laughs> output is not as good for their fans exactly. as what they were when they were all fucked up. Yeah. First of all, that's hypocritical for a few reasons, in my opinion. Number one, I want my stars to live. Or yeah. anyone that I look up to or yeah. admire, I want them to live. Absolutely. I've been around people that are hooked on heroin. It's not a good li- existence. Yeah. It's not a good lifestyle. Kurt Cobain, we, we could be still listening to the guy Exactly. Right John Lennon, uh, uh, no fault of his own, obviously. Right. But yes. think of all the music we're missing. Yes. Think of, you know, there's a ton. Of, every year at the Oscars, my favorite part is that, you know, the memorandum of people yes. who die. That you're, yeah. And you go, oh, that, oh, yeah. oh, I should have said thank you before you. You know, oh, I didn't get to that person right. to say thank you before he went. Oh, this. Oh, imagine the years we could still be enjoying from this guy. You know. But what? Are you, what are your thoughts on the idea that there may be some people out there who think I don't think Mike's as funny now. He's not on drugs, or he's now found religion or whatever spirituality. What? What do you think about that? Um, I think. Um, well, I'm sorry about that, but if you would care to excuse me just move out of the way because there's two other people right. who want to take your place sure. that think i'm funnier right now but also i mean so, i think they're comparing I'm it lucky. to uh a 20 year ago mike which you can't be yeah 
You know what I mean? Like you're not going to be the guy coming out with the uh, tennis racket playing the guitar, <laughs> jumping around. I have to work out a little bit more before right. I can do that. <laughs> but, but, but you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, people My forget that, alone. <laughs> that we don't live in a fucking vacuum. And it's not a time capsule that we yeah. can just go, oh, wait, I'm just going to go put the, yeah. the – we're we're, we can't all be Emo Phillips and put funny yeah. clothes on yeah. and just, just slip into a character, right? And I, I find, too, it's been amazing the feedback that I've gotten just, just in the last – Three weeks because I've only been on stage like eleven times in the right. last three weeks. Well, a lot of people enjoyed you at the yeah. Canadian Comedy. But voice. everybody's coming up to me. Oh, you look so good. You look yes. twenty years younger, and your your anger's back. Your voice is back. It's like you twenty years ago. And I go, well, okay, I guess so. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm glad the new stuff's working as well as it did. Yeah. Right whatever floats bat. your boat. Whatever reason yeah, you're here. But you know. Do you do, do you do the uh, do you do the AA thing? Do you go to no no? Yeah. I, I tried that one time. Uh, a friend of mine, Rich Scheidner, uh, got me to go to AA when I was in Glendale a few times. But I just didn't like it. I just what didn't what, like what the, uh, the the community aspect of it? And I felt a lot of people were using it as a crutch, like the, like their new addiction was the meetings. Right, right. right. And uh, as much as I agreed with the the good part, the, the teaching the stuff, of it, the teaching yeah. of it, I, mean, I didn't like the culture. Yeah. Know? So I I stopped going to them, and I uh, I just like to hang out with friends who are who are sober and stuff. And uh, but now for creativity I, reasons, have you? When you're on drugs, I'm straight edge. I've never done any drugs, right? But never, uh, never, wow. never done a single one. What a weirdo! Uh, but but <laughs> I, I've trust, often I've weirdo. often found drugs and alcohol are a crutch. I have found that myself that drugs oh, yeah. and alcohol are a crutch. Well, it, it's it, I, I, I'm you know like even now, I've started to, to go back and occasionally smoke pot again. Pot is the only drug that I would do. I don't even count right pot. Now. I really don't. Well, yeah. As one. But, I mean, I just, it's but, not like Coke or heroin or, you know yeah, what I mean, those but, kinds of drugs. But even with pot, I, I have very strict rules. To use it as a muse, a, a couple of puffs is good for me for a two and a half hour writing session. Then I come down, I eat something, whatever, do exercise, shower, and then maybe I'll have another, I'll have a couple of puffs, have another writing session for two and a half hours. And if I have two writing sessions a day, that's a pretty good day for me. And right. then if I go on at night, hey, that's a bonus, you know. But a very strict rule. But these people that smoke pot and try to maintain the level, you know, all the way through and smoke like for three, four, five hours in a row, they're wasting the drug. I mean, it's just like Hemingway with alcohol. Back in the day, he would take a, a glass of wine, write 15 pages. Then it got to a point where it was two, three bottles for a paragraph. Right. Sorry, the muse is taking over. You, right. You can't let the muse take over your life. So there was a lot of drugs, like alcohol, I, I never really enjoyed because it was a non-productive drug. Never wrote anything on alcohol. Never wrote anything on coke. Never wrote anything on heroin. Right. You understand the attraction because they, you know, heroin especially, it turns that switch off. You don't think, any, they can put you in a padded room and you go, cool. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and some music would be nice, but this is fine other than that, you know. I've, off, I've often. It just turns everything off. So I've, I've found it stuff. sad, though, that. Um, I mean, I don't know if sad's the right word, but when I see a comic that has to get hammered or drink a lot to get on stage... Before he got, yeah. See, the, the, even when I was a heroin addict full-time for about a year and a half, <laughs> it's just, that back in uh, the early 80s, you know, right. I haven't done hard drugs in about 25 years now at least, but uh, e even when I was doing shooting heroin every night, I would never shoot it before I went on stage. Right. Like, I would sleep, wake up, Shower, get dressed, do the show. Then I would right. shoot. 
Yeah. I would I just, never shoot before. I, I tried I tried it once. I had a hangover like kind of thing for a day and I didn't sleep a lot and I went on stage and I have a tape of it and it it's like Lenny Bruce fucked up. It's like really yeah, there's bad. A, yeah, there's a Carlin album. Well, yeah. well the 40 years of uh, comedy special uh, that Carlin did uh, well, quite a while ago. But, uh, yeah, he would always say that he, he would, like, write for a couple of hours and then he would uh, have a couple of puffs. And he, would, he said, you know, now that he was pretty well clean and sober that it would only just take a couple of puffs and then he yeah. would go back and punch it exactly. up and stuff. And there was, like, uh, one of the albums that he did, um, I think it was uh, George Carlin on the Road, He's gone back to say that, like, that was one of the albums that he was, like, the most fucked up, and you could hear it yeah. in his voice. Yeah. There's this, like, there's, like, a strain to it. Yeah. And uh, I remember, because I'm a, I'm a, you know, a huge, like, born and raised Carlin fan, and I remember, like, AM and FM is still an album that I'll go back right. and listen to. You know, it has Wonderful Wino, and it has, yeah. like, the divorce game yeah. on it, and just these crazy bits that still, you know, he references things that, you know, aren't around anymore, but I mean, they're still amazing records. Yeah. And uh, I remember before I found out that that On the Road was his the album that he was fucked up on, I remember hearing it going like, it was one of those albums where I was listening to it going like, am I not getting this? Because yeah. it just was not. Right. There's maybe about one track on it yeah. that is okay. It's like, a, it's like the third uh, Richard Pryor concert film. Mm-hmm. It's really sad because people are heckling him. They won't let him do his thing, and he's kind of like trying to be clean and sober, and he's having a hard time, and he's going back to bits that you know that he wrote a zillion years ago. He's yes. clamoring for material, and it's, oh, it's, it's hard to watch. It's, it's very hard, yeah. But the first two, the first one especially, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's like, to me, not just the black comics, but, I mean, people should be required viewing before they even get on stage. Well, it's like the Bill Cosby himself one. It's like every I mean, comic should see that. It's like uh, th- there's so many comics that are like watered down prior. It's amazing. Well, the, the, like, the, the, like prior was lemonade with four glasses of water. And then you see the next guy and it's eight glasses of water. Yeah. Ten glasses of water. I, I don't want to sound like, hey, kids, get off my lawn. But there is this, uh, this sense of... Uh, I think young, some young comics have a respect for what's kind of come before yeah. them. Some don't. I think that's always going to be the case. Yeah. But I remember teaching a class at Humber about three years ago, just a one-off, and uh, asking the room, you know, who your influences are. And only one person had an influence that was, like, older than eight years. Yeah. And it was an SNL person. Yeah. You know, like Eddie Murphy from SNL. Yeah. Like they had no, they had no one before David Cross. Yeah. Like nobody influenced him before. Yeah, it's cool. like nobody had said Carlin. No one had said yeah. this. No one had said that. And I was just like, really kind of saddened by that. I'm not saying you know people have their own influences. That's cool, but yeah. to at least know a little bit of it would be at least beneficial. Yeah, they're certainly missing out because I mean, uh, like there's so many influences, not just Stannis, but like like Monty Python, for example. Oh, of course. Not yeah. that I'm going out there doing Monty Python esque, but it's certainly had an influence on my my uh, my choices right because it made me laugh like crazy and anything that makes you laugh has to have some kind of influence on you all right when we come back from the break our final uh, section of the interview with mike mcdonald's anything goes for the week of october 30th Whenever you're ready. This is Ivan Decker. We're listening to Anything Goes on Sirius XM. I mean, do it one more time, but just say you're listening to. Because yeah. if, if you said we, everyone's going to look around them and go, what the fuck? Who's, 
Who else is in my car? Everyone. The fuck is going on here? <laughs> but just do it, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, just yeah, yeah, do it again. You're listening to, Got not it. me, but you are. <laughs> uh, we're Ivan Decker. Oh, no, I, ah, okay, hang on. This is Ivan Decker, and you're listening to Anything Goes on Sirius XM. Yeah, that's good. Smoother than a stripper's area. This is Anything Goes. All right, back from the break. This is Anything Goes for the week of October 30th. We've been talking to Mike McDonald this whole time. There's going to be more footage, not footage, more audio that you can hear uh, when you download How long the... did we actually talk to him? Do you remember? It was almost About, like 90 uh, minutes. Like, almost like 90 minutes yeah. or so, yeah. Uh, there's going to be a lot more to listen to on the podcast. Go to iTunes uh, and uh, download it at uh, Anything Goes on Sirius XM. But, um, yeah, we're, uh, <coughs> I got fucking shit in my throat. The, uh, <laughs> uh, it's awful. It's not awful, but it's not, you know, no, not what a professional broadcaster would uh, call yeah. as a good take. Yeah. But uh, here we go back from, uh, we go back to Mike McDonald now. Uh, happy Halloween if you're. Uh, no, 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 it's over. It's over? October 30th, though. So someone asked, uh, sent in a question about your SNL audition, which I did not even know that you had tried out for oh, SNL. That was a fiasco. Because I did the tennis racket bit. Okay. And in the middle of that, you know, we're in, we're in an office with a million desks. It's not even a private room to audition. Everybody's just sitting around. The phone rings. <laughs> the woman reaches up, turns down my boombox playing the music, and answers the phone. Hello? <laughs> I go, oh, you <laughs> no respect? All yeah. right, I'm out of here. Yeah. Fuck you. You know. And it was it was ironically the Gene Demanian year. So, oh, so one wasn't even there. Yeah, the worst time. Worst time in their whole history. I'm there with Mark Breslin and Joel Axler. Yep. You know, here, yuck, yuck, Zach. Here, what do you think of this? What? Turn it down. Wow. Those are like the uh, Eddie Murphy was is one of the people that they always people always go, oh, the Eddie Murphy years. But those weren't Lauren Michaels years either. He wasn't. That's why they always say it. If you if you ever meet Lauren Michaels, don't say anything uh, so uh, praising the those those early '80s years. It's weird. Like I met Lauren Michaels a couple of times after that in the late '80s, and when he came up the Yuck Yucks looking for new talent. And had a meeting with him. And, oh, yeah. And he introduces me to other people. This is Mike McDonald, one of the foremost stand-ups in Canada. But, but, you know, nothing. No matter how well I did or whatever, nothing ever happened. But but then again, you look at it and you go, yeah, I mean, my career might have been different had I got that. And, but, you know, my skills would have been developed in a different way. But it's not like I'm unhappy I didn't do it. You know, oh no, yeah. I just, I just never like I've read much about you. I never even knew you tried out but for it. But it's, it, it doesn't bias me. Like, I mean, I still watch the show now. I mean, yeah, I still watch it, and, and every time I watch it, there's always something that I go, oh, that was good. That was funny. well, that was good. I always find I laugh at anything I know I can't do. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of talented people on that show and doing yeah. stuff I can't do. So you know, that's how I look at all comedy. You know. One, um, oh, go ahead, sorry, no, I was just going to say, did, did, you, did you ever actually read Andrew Clark's book about uh, the stand and deliver? Oh, yeah. yeah well, I, what I were thought your... it was hilarious. Because uh, it, it was one of those weird books. that was Jim Morris. <laughs> it's just like, oh, did he? It was so weird because, you know, I mean, you can always tell a bad writer when they start the article, Mike walks in wearing a uh, 
uh, a Hawaiian shirt looking like uh, Grizzled, uh, what's his name, uh, The Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, Hunter S. Thompson, Hunter S. yeah. Hunter Thompson, and he looks at me and it looked Jim Morrison singing the end, going blah, 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 and I'm going, yeah, yeah, whatever. Why well, you, you, know, you always showed up one afternoon in a hotel with a Hawaiian shirt on. <laughs> well, you're not the Lizard King of comedy. Yeah. What? But 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 it's weird. It's like you you learn later. Like perfect example. It's a matter of perspective. My enemies would recount this story in my early years this way. Yeah, we'd be at a party. Mike McDonald would hear you say something funny, and Mike McDonald would go, "Hey, you should write that down." And they go, yeah, yeah, well, I'll write it down later. I'm, you know, I'm busy. Later, you're going to forget. You should write it down now. That's funny. You're going to forget it. I'm trying to get laid. Hey, look, I'll tell you this. If I don't see it in your act in a month, I'm going to do it. Oh, you son of a bitch. And then, oh, Mike McDonald making us do homework. A motherfucker. <laughs> so my enemies would recount the, that story as me being a bully. But my friends, like Matt Billen, would go, no, Mike has always been a guy that pushes us to be better than we are and always write down material. And all, you know what I mean? So it's a matter of perspective. So well, the story is a little different. The funny. stories I, I heard was a little different. The version I heard is that if you saw a comic on stage say something funny, but it probably wasn't the best level of what it was, yeah. you would go up to them and you'd go, uh, you got two weeks to make it funnier or the funniest where I'm taking it. Yeah. That's the version of that story yeah, that I've heard that, that's the enemy attached version. to you. Yeah, that's the enemy version. I, I would never take something. You know, I buy stuff right. occasionally. I, I, I bought maybe 10 jokes over 33 years. Right. And uh, a couple of them were just because I didn't want to hear them anymore from that person. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they, I'd be broke. They, I'd be broke. They were so anti-Canadian and so convoluted logic that I just said... Hey, man, can I buy that? Yeah, great. And I told him, I said, I'm buying it because I don't want to fucking hear that joke anymore. Right. You're a fucking scumbag. Fuck you. Right. He would and go back on the deal, and there'll be a battle. And, you know, lucky they didn't go back. Now, when you did get sick, you did write some stuff. I'm not sure if it was on your Facebook or just kind of an email. And uh, also, remind me, I want to bring up Matt Billen again, because yeah. there's something I want to talk about Matt Billen. This has nothing to do with him. It just triggered my mind. Um, about your past is riddled, like you say, some enemies have said some things. Yeah. And you even alluded to in, in your recovery or even before this kind of maybe of a wake-up call of your health, saying about your history hasn't always been good to other comics. Yeah. And that now that you know you've had some of these issues and the comic community has kind of rallied a bit, and maybe even some of those people who you may feel haven't, you've been nice to or have been your enemy may have done nice things for you. So in perspective, how do you look at that now? Uh, I, I am continually amazed at when people recount stories that I, for one, can't remember. But okay. They go, you were so nice to us, you hung out and you answered all our questions and blah, blah, blah. You mentored us. And, blah. and I go, well, I don't remember that. But right. I'm glad. At least I wasn't an asshole 100% of the time. Right. Because I know I was an asshole a lot. Because there there's but the other I'm, side of yeah, that. I'm always surprised that when they tell me that I wasn't. Right. So, there's, thank I, God. The, some of the stories I've heard from y comics is that you were standoffish or you wouldn't talk to them. Or well, yeah. You weren't, it, it's kind of like the old you can't look me in the eye, Mike Myers story. Uh, or, a, a big problem was these fucking people, they're supposed to be in the same business as us. Right. right. And I tell them, I'd say, look. If this was a baseball game, I'm on deck, and yes. you're walking out of the yeah, fucking I do understand crowd that. to yes. walk up to me and go, "Hey, how was your flight? Get the f I'm on, I'm, I'm at bat yes, next." Yes, yes, 
Get the fuck away from me. Oh, maybe Donald, you won't even talk to you before the show. Yeah, before the show, yeah, fuck off. Right. After the show, I'll hang out till 8 in the fucking morning, drop acid with you, whatever. Right. You know, I mean, but no, all of a sudden they're not around when the show's over. Yeah. But, you know, so that, that that used to piss me off a lot because I go, look, I'm practicing. I'm, going through my mind what I'm going to do on stage in five minutes. Don't fucking ask me how my flight was. Jesus, we're supposed to be in the same business. Yeah. You're supposed to know better. Yes. And they, oh, Mike McDonald's such a prick. And I go, fuck you. Get away from me. Do you think After the show, anyone's welcome to hang out. Although there was a couple of times in the past, I remember I was glad. Like one night, we we're all going to drop acid. And uh, somebody turned and goes, hey, is it okay if our friend uh, Jim Carrey comes? And I look over and I see this kid in this polyester suit, real young, just starting out, and first time on Yuck Yucks, and I go, no, no, you can't hang out with this. I'm so glad that I wasn't the one that corrupted him. Right. You know, and it's funny because later on when I went to L.A., I, I saw him on stage, he had totally thrown out his act, wasn't wearing a suit, doing the darkest fucking shit because he was hanging out with Sam Kinison. And I'm right. like, okay, good. It was Sam that corrupted him, not right, me. Right. You know, I was like, I'm glad because I don't want to be responsible for, you know, some fucking kid turning. But, you know. Is that, is, do you think you could, I mean, it's, it's always just funny. Like, do you think you would ever, do you ever miss doing like the, like the, like the, like acid or something like that? Um, I mean, because Andrew Clark, he painted a picture that like, uh, at Yuck Yucks in the early years that like there would be a house that everyone would party in oh, yeah. after the show everyone oh, yeah. would drop acid oh, you'd yeah. be, and you'd be like throwing jokes back and it would be I, like I, well, I have hysterical and there's a rumor that you would record those episodes I have literally 600 hours of acid trips with my crew uh, Cheryl Quinn the honorary female member of our crew because she was really funny and right. she got the jokes and she fucking gave jokes just as good as anybody else. Ron Vaudry Howard Nemitz Lawrence Morgenstern and Simon Rakoff <laughs> Every weekend for a while. And you there. still have them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. but uh, you know what um, I, w- I would pay to see is another uh, acid trip with those three I, crew again. I, I, not me. I would have to pay somebody to transfer. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to, to transcribe yeah. everything. But then I would have to shoot them because I didn't want them walking around with that knowledge of yeah, what we yeah, said. Yeah. But, uh, and, and for a while there, you know, I had problems with uh, Lawrence, and especially. And we were on unfriendly terms, and uh, there, there was a while there where he thought that I was ripping off stuff from the tapes to have. Well, that's that is the story. The new material. Yes, that is that is the story that's out there. And yes. I remember one time saying, "Oh yeah, well, here here's an hour of one of our trips. Why don't you listen to that and see, see what you get out see, of it? See if you can pull anything out of it. <laughs> <laughs> because ninety ninety nine percent of the fucking tapes were. Is like, Ron Vogel oh, screaming? Oh, I wrote that. Yeah, I wrote oh, that. Oh. oh. We're the best. We're the funniest guys in the world. We're going to take over. Oh, man. Uh, yuck, yuck. Fuck yuck, yuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Take some jokes out of that. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can only oh, imagine. Oh, oh fucking Horowitz. Oh, fuck all those guys. We're, we're the funniest. Well, prior rules. Yeah, fucking. Hey. <laughs> 600 hours of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you go ahead and transcribe. Guess what? Uh, the person who transcribes, you won't have to shoot in the head. They'll shoot themselves in the head. Yeah. It's Take like, four. Man. I'm like, this is, I'm yeah. done. Yeah, some of those are always just best left. Yeah. Just memories, and you kind of And it was wanna... funny, you know, for a long time there, there were people saying, well, you know, Mike's been in L.A. for like almost 20 years. You must be doing something wrong because nothing's happening for him. Sure, he that's has, been he said, yeah. fucking hit the prize. And but then they come down there. Like, they'd have their going away parties going, okay, I'm going to L.A. to make it. Four years later, I bump into him at an audition. Right. For some fucking crappy show, and, the, and they'd lower their eyes going, oh, hi, hi Mike. Yeah. Doing? 
Oh, so how you doing? Yeah, you've been on here for four years. So what's that? What's happening? Anything? Right. Nothing. Oh, okay. What? And then they look at me and go, and then they they know that I know that they know that they realize that yeah, shit doesn't happen right away, does it? Yeah. And not just that, but my attitude is if you if you've left Toronto to go to L.A. and you've lasted in L.A., you've won. Yeah. In a certain way, you've won. You haven't had to come yeah. back to Canada to live, to make your living. So in a way, like someone like Tim Connell is a perfect example. He yeah. left when he was 18. He stayed down there. He's grinded it out. And he's, he's had some great acting He's jobs. had some great acting he's jobs. Great, he's a great I, actor. Yeah, I'm sure he's had some lean years too. And oh, there yeah. may have been times where he's like, you know, maybe I can go back to Canada yeah. and be a regular on some show. But he fucking grinded it out. And yeah. my attitude is that means you win. If you yeah, yeah that's the thing. You, know, you people, did what you wanted yeah. to do. People always used to say to me, do you hang out with the Canadian? comics no because they're all embarrassed because they haven't made it yet yeah nobody wants to That's hang funny. out with anybody because yeah. they're, they're at home going shit i thought i was gonna make it by now it's been five years fuck yeah i i, I told my parents to get off my back for five years at least and and now they're phoning me going you have to come home and you know you have to work in your father's business <laughs> you know? right the, the comedy thing's not working out is it All right, that is the end of the interview. I uh, hope you enjoyed a uh, little kind of jog down memory lane with Mike McDonald. Uh, there is uh, considerably more material left. We will put that on the podcast, so please download that on iTunes. And, uh, yeah, upcoming shows. We did an interview with Garrett Clark. That's going to be coming out. And while Dave and I are uh, currently en route to Calgary as this show is airing, we will be in Calgary October 31st and November 2nd and uh, November 7th and 8th. We will be in Edmonton, and then the following weekend, Dave will be in Vancouver. In Vancouver. Uh, I will be in Halifax. So uh, please uh, check us out for any of our dates. Our information is on the website, and uh, you can that's find, it. You actually, you can find Mike McDonald on Facebook, and uh, you can also, uh, he has a website. Uh, it is MikeMcDonald.net, so uh, come and check out a very, very funny and a very, very healthy, uh, thank God, Mike McDonald. Yes. Uh, This is, uh, yeah, until next time, uh, party hard and party safe. Goodbye, everybody. That's it for this week. Anything Goes wants to thank Victoria for producing the show and George Westerholm for the music used. Follow the hosts on Twitter at Comedy Whore at Dave Martin World. Download new episodes every week on iTunes. Join the Facebook group and follow the show on Twitter at Anything Goes Hot. Anything Goes helps you laugh, cry, and learn something. Come back next week. And until then, take it easy. I've done in the last couple of years is hooked up with Kenny Robinson because um, part of it is Kenny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, who? Has he been in LA? Oh. Oh, he's great. Uh, but one of the reasons I hooked up with Kenny is I really admire Kenny. He's one of the guys I hooked up to. Oh yeah. And part From the of beginning. it, and and part of it for me is um, 
It's not charity. I don't want to, what I'm about to say is nothing about charity. One of the parts of this business I really despise is that really funny guys that are sitting home on a Saturday night and for bullshit reasons of the industry or yeah. well, yuck yucks too. I yeah. will just say it. Yeah. Uh, Tons of lame motherfuckers are working, yeah. and someone like Kenny isn't. Yeah. So I started this thing with him called Rank and Vile, where we tour around, and we try to do venues, and I try to make money for both of us. Not out of charity, but out of respect. Yeah. And there's a mutual respect there, because I know Kenny respects me. Yeah. And I know f- to a certain extent that, I don't want to say it projected onto you, but I see that same kind of relationship with Matt Bill and, and yeah, you. Yeah, well, well, Matt Matt kept me going for uh, a year and a half before I was diagnosed. I mean, right. My last working days before I got too sick to ever perform until my transplant and and recovery from my transplant was with Matt Billen. Right. I mean, no, nobody was hiring me. I, the corporate thing, whoa. They, I had a couple of bad corporate things. The word got out, oh, he's fucked up, he's, something's wrong. And right. I don't know if it's drugs or whatever, but something's not right. And Matt was the only guy that said, hey, let's, I, I can get a tour going, let's go. And you yeah. know, we didn't make a, you know, we barely broke even most of the time on the tours, but at least I was still doing it. Yeah, you're still working it yeah. out and grinding it, it out. It's great. So, you know, I mean, my wife put it succinctly, you know, Anytime, Matt, you're in the area, you have a place to stay. You have a, you know, don't worry about money, anything. You know, that, that's the least we can do to yeah. pay Matt. People like, and I always say to people, yeah, if if half the comics were like Matt Bill, and this would be an easy fucking profession to be in. This, you know, we'd have we'd have fun most of the time. Right. You know, he's a nice guy. You, you, what you see is what you get. You know, it's like these other fuckers. You know, and one of my favorite jokes was yeah. Yeah, in in uh, in L.A., uh, you know you know your friend is a is a really good friend because they stab you in the front. <laughs> <laughs> they don't stab you in the back. They go right for the chest. Right. Go ahead, Dave. No, I, I, I um, oh. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to look up one of these questions because I did. Um, here's the one, and this is what's really important, and it's from our. Uh, Ryan Belleville. I don't know if you know Ryan. Uh, yeah, that's Ryan, Ryan Belleville. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 he, he hosted the awards. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I, the comedy awards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very very funny comic and an actor. And uh, he wanted to ask you: it, it is hard to find things as funny as almost dying. Uh, sometimes heavy real life stuff can take the comedy wind out of your sails for a while, but sometimes it lights us up and inspires us. Uh, which was it for you? Well, at first it was, yeah, like I thought I would never do it again. But then, thank God, in the last month, the floodgates have opened. And uh, I I mean, I have, what was it, at least 53 voice memos right now on my phone that I have to transcribe. Right. Every time I interact with somebody, there's always something. That, thank God I have that voice memo deal on the phone. Yep. And then I start my writing session at home by transcribing the voice memos into files and stuff so yeah it's it's like a tsunami of material every day like i was, I was talking to simon Rakoff on the phone earlier i told him a couple of jokes he gave me two or three tags boom we, we went back and forth on material yep i mean it's like a writing session it's amazing and and, and this thing I, I don't understand with a lot of comics why they don't want to talk shop or they don't want to spar because when you look at a boxer if muhammad ali wouldn't have sparred all the time he wouldn't have been as good as he was well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's many generations of comics who only want to do stand-up when they get paid, yeah. and they only want to get paid really well. They don't want to go on an open mic and just try eight minutes of new stuff. I've never, I mean, all the comics I looked up to don't do that. Yeah. I just, it's, it, one's a gym, exactly. and, and one is, you know, the big show, and yeah. you don't treat either one the same. Sparring is just as important as doing it, you Yeah, know, for real. I mean, you know, because that's, you know, you have to be around people who can talk comedy. 
it's like my wife is one thing. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a joke for her, and if she doesn't get it right away, I'll think, okay, maybe I should explain it better, or maybe there's right. a word I can use that she'll get it. But once my wife gets it, I know, okay, it's pretty well ready to go out. Right. You know? But uh, you have to be around people who talk comedy yes. to really do it properly. And I, I don't understand, like, guys like Andrew Gross never wants to hang out, never wants to talk shop. Well, you know, that's I, because I, he's... I, I, I try to talk comedy to him, and he's like, oh, like I'm talking about anal sex or something. He's like, oh, I don't want to hear about it. All right, fine. <laughs> right. I don't now, understand that. Uh, I just don't. I'm just going to leave that one alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one alone. Why? Uh, <laughs> there's a lot. Uh, there's some history there. Some history there. Yeah. And uh, I think we've already talked about why I would probably not uh, want to keep that going. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, uh, Rich Scheidner, who you oh, yeah. already brought up, an old friend of yours from back one in the day. One of my best, and, uh, best American friends yes. ever. And, you know, once again, a lot of comics, especially young comics under 30, wouldn't know him unless they saw the I Am yeah. Comic documentary. Um, but one of the interesting things in that documentary for me, and maybe it's I'm self-justifying or I'm rounding, I'm, I'm 42 now, but I always loved the idea of why comics stay in the game and why they got out. Because there was a segment in that documentary of talking to guys in their late 40s and 50s who just either A, couldn't handle the road or the yeah. highs and lows. Because, I mean, even if you don't have mental health issues, the highs and lows of this business yeah. will force you to have mental yeah. issues. Well, like like I always say, the people. I always say there's only two kinds of comics: undiagnosed and diagnosed. Right. And the diagnosed ones are the funnier ones. Right. But I think. <laughs> what, what what keeps you? Obviously, maybe the idea if you don't have anything else you can do, but what keeps you having the energy to keep on doing it? Uh, I, well, I think right now with that tsunami of new material, I mean, every time I do something, I go, bang, whoa, that's funny. I think I should remember that because if I said that again to somebody else, they would probably laugh. So I have no choice, you know. I mean, they, they, as long as the material keeps coming, I'm going to keep doing it until I drop. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always curious why someone... Well, it's like I know I'm always curious why someone just can how how someone can just walk away from it completely. I know it's weird. It, it always saddens me. It's like uh, my first uh, I think it was the twenty twentieth uh, year reunion at Brookfield High School here in Ottawa. I was asking because I started playing drums when I was fifteen, and and till about nineteen seventy seven, I thought music was going to be my career. Yeah, I really did. I was playing in bands and stuff, and I thought, hey, I have a shot at this. But uh, I asked people at the reunion, do you still play? Do you still jam? And, you know, 99% of them said, no, they don't play at all. And right. I said, wow, because I always thought growing up that the music, the least it would be, would be like my father who used to go bowling every Thursdays. So Thursdays for me would go be jamming with somebody, going right. to somebody's basement and just making loud noise for two or three hours in a row. Yeah. And I was really saddened by the fact that people don't do it. So that's the same way. I think the last time I uh, experienced that with comedy was the Rick Jenny wake. Yeah. A lot oh, of yeah. comedians came up for that, you yeah. know, because Rich Jenny was so well respected and rightly so. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of people, hey, you know, you still doing it? No, I'm doing a day job. I got this thing. It's sort of connected still in show business, but I'm not doing stand up. And I go, wow. Yeah. And well, I immediately think, you know, well, there's mm. that one joke I always liked <laughs> that you did. How <laughs> yeah. much for that yeah. one? Yeah. And that one you, I didn't like, and I pay you never yeah. to say it again. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, 
Well, it's like it's you know the the, the boxer is always a good analogy too. You know, I mean, if you if you train for a while and or you know and then at, at a certain point you're like, oh, I wonder if I can do this for real. Because I remember growing up as a kid, I remember you know you you be the funny guy in class, yeah, and then you know then you're you know, then but then I I got very withdrawn in, in high school and I was I was a lot shyer in high school because uh, I think that's sort of when you know you. I don't know. I just couldn't handle the, the status of high school over uh, over right. the younger grades, yeah. and so. Uh, um, but then I remember at a certain point, you know, you think, well, I'm I'm funny amongst my friends enough, and I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll try to do it to strangers, and uh, and then it's 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 still that sort of like when you think of something, you write it down, or you just you have it in your head, and I, if if someone's not walking around and, and doing sets still, I don't know how they can just sort of sit there and go like, oh, I wonder if this is actually yeah, it, it, it eats away at you yeah, because so yeah, because what happens if you're sitting there and you get a funny thought? What are you gonna do with it? Right, it just kind of it just kind of sits away, it sits at your it sits in your gut, and it's like uh, you but, know, if I think of something on a Monday, I'd be like, yeah. you know what, Thursday, I can't wait till Thursday because I gotta you know, try to, this out. To their credit, some guys are at the point now where they just write for other people. Yeah. Oh yeah. So no, some, sometimes it is satisfying to hear a joke come out properly through somebody else's mouth. Of course. Right. And and they're and, tired of fucking playing yeah. for bachelor parties. Yeah. And, and crowds. If, if they can make a living doing that. Yeah. And live comfortably, well then hey, I'm all for it. You know, yeah, I still I still consider you. that as part of as yeah. being in the game. But when someone's like just completely out, yeah, and they're selling it, insurance it, now, it and they don't weird, even have the yeah. comic, completely and they get out, out of that of comic circle, but. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it, it it is one of those things where you sort of like you kind of question everything that you think about I, and yeah. think of like oh man is this going to work in front of strangers because that's always the degree because yeah. everybody thinks that they're they can do it yeah but I'm like no are you funny to a group of strangers that don't know who you are and it's always sad to me when I hear about somebody not doing it but then I can't I can't really be mad at them or anything because I know what they're avoiding too is they're right. avoiding the down parts the, the heavy of the down whole, parts yeah, so I, I personally think you can't the begrudge Jenny, them for not wanting to go through that anymore I personally think the Richard Jenny thing was a very a much bigger deal than a lot of people realize for a generation of comics yeah because um, I loved Richard Jenny. I thought he was very funny. Yeah. Uh, he, he probably wasn't the greatest actor in the world. I don't think he ever aspired to be. No. But I think he may have um, got stuck, and I don't know him at all, and I'm just projecting. I think he got stuck in that, that wheel of if I'm not – like selling out a comedy club is not enough, and getting my thoughts out there is not enough. If I'm not Jim Carrey – big then it's hard for me to keep on doing but he doesn't even realize that the level he's at he's already a master yeah. of an art form well that the, the, the thing with Drew Jenny a good friend of mine Len Osvich basically tried to talk him out of uh, committing suicide for about a month before he died right and at one point Lenny called me in because he knew of my experiences with the bipolar and stuff and being in the psych ward and suicide, uh, mandatory suicidal watches for 30 72 hours at a time and uh, he asked me to come over and uh, help try to convince Jenny not to blow his brains out. And uh, it, it, it was sad because, you know, we just couldn't get through to him. And then he convinced us all that he was going to go into rehab. Every, right. And everybody took a breather. And, and during that breather, he, you know, wound up blowing his brains out in the shower. But uh, it was just... It's so sad because you know you think you know you have to not believe anybody in that state of mind. You have to literally phone the cops and say this guy said he wants to kill himself. We got to put him away. Right. But you know he actually had the charm to get out of a seventy-two hour mandatory suicide watch. Right. Halfway yeah. through, the doctors let him go, and I'm sitting there going, "Who the fuck are the doctors that let him go?" Yeah. 
Yeah. Who the fuck? They, they should be sued. And, and, and the doctor that hadn't had him on Ambien, in that sleep shit, you know, it's like uh, he was having nightmares. That was the same thing as what Michael Jackson was on, right? And, you know, well, I, Michael I Jackson think was on to, to an extent. Oh, sorry, right. Yeah, yeah it, it was a different kind of drug, but um, it, it was just, uh, God, what was the point I was trying to make at the beginning of this? Uh, brain fog. I just said it was a, a bit of a, a generational, um, the idea of cars. Oh, yeah. He, he was perfectly happy selling out the corporate gigs that he was doing. You know, I, I really resented it when people like Bill Maher came out and said, well, because, you know, you know, uh, you know, at that, that age, you just, you know, how can I keep going back to the club? But no, no, he was fine with that. Okay. You know, there, there was another reason, See, no which, which I'm not going to go into because right. it's a personal thing. Uh, that he had that that was the reason he killed himself not because he was a failure he right. was happy with his career and bill martin go fuck himself of course i've never had a good time with bill Maher. unfortunately i i love what he does and everything but he's always treated me like uh oh you're still trying to do comedy yeah okay bill thanks <laughs> yeah, yeah, great now we'll see you yeah. right you have a good show. I love it. My wife loves it too. But you know, I don't want to talk to you. Right. You know, and and one of the things that turned me against him, not only the way he treated me, was when he was on Larry King one time, and uh, somebody phoned in and said, "Oh, thank God, Bill, you're the only voice of reason out there. You're the one person that really understands." And his reaction was, "Well, thank you." <laughs> yes, yes, you're correct. I I am one. that person. I am, I the, am only the only one. one. And yeah. I sat there and I went, "Oh my God!" Yeah. The emperor has no clothes. Yeah, you know you can't do that. I mean, you know, I mean, for me, I've always been aware of that. I always hate people thinking that I have a big head. Like on 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 all my specials, the big sign and behind me, Mike McDonald, Neon, the last one. And I said, I came out. And my first joke was, huh? What do you think of the sign? Huh? Pretty good, huh? <laughs> Same as the one I got in my living room. But <laughs> boom, you know, it's like. You know that I know that you know that yeah, this right. is all bullshit. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't think you know. I'm, and I remember the first time I uh, even thought of something like that was Shania Twain. I saw this video where she stood in front of a picture of herself. Yeah. The context was the top of her head was at the bottom of her lip in the photo behind her, and she she stood there in front of that photo for a whole song and mm -hmm. sang it. And I sat there and went, oh, my God, how can you do that? It's a picture of you and, me, and not make a joke. Right. It's like Oprah going, I have to be on every issue on the oh, cover yeah. of yes. every issue yeah, of my magazine. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I think she God. knows someone who works at the Oprah magazine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get on the cover that, that many times. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of blackmail yeah. do you have against yourself <laughs> to put yourself on the... <laughs> See, I, 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 know, I thought because uh, I saw the Larry King, Bill Maher uh, interview where he, where they, where he brought up the Richard Jenny, and he was just saying, yeah. he was just like, hey, you know what? It's show business. You know, if you want success in this business, you're better off buying a lottery ticket. And uh, you know, I think up until this point, I was really kind of, I thought it was Richard Jenny. Didn't matter if he was selling out the clubs. It was just like, oh, I'm back at the improv again. I, no. or I really thought it was. Uh, he was dead wrong on that one. That was not Rich Jenny's problem. He was was happy with his career. He had a personal problem. Yeah. He was paranoid because of the Ambien he was on and stuff, and he thought that this situation was going to escalate to the point of hurting his family and stuff. It was nothing to do with his career. Yeah, because for me, nothing. it's like he, he had a career that I think a lot of yeah. hardworking comics dream of. And, and, and he would, he would uh, succinctly, I think Rich Scheidner said the best thing at his wake. 
he said the rich jenny was the kind of guy that when he went after a subject it was like hyenas going after a carcass you know right nothing was left but the yeah yeah couple of bones scraps nothing you know when he finished with the subject boom it was done like well, you, you know how the comic thing is you know to keep the can in the air for three tags boom, yes boom. Jenny would do 15 tags on something. Right. I mean, well, it's he like would you keep said, that can did, in the air. He did 10 minutes on, yeah. on Manson with the, yeah. you know, the thing. It's like that is very old school, and I don't even see a young generation of comics doing no. that. They'll, they'll talk about it. Yeah. They'll do a minute on it. And, and it's I, and weird. I'm just as much yeah. to blame. I'll do a minute or two minutes on it, but it's like, let's quickly move on to this because some of that's, uh, you know, uh, insecurity of the comic, thinking the crowd doesn't want to go that far into something yeah. they don't know about. Exactly. But really, it's yeah. your job to paint the picture to make them want to go that yeah. far. But that is a very old school yourself yeah. or Richard Jenny way and, of doing uh, comedy. I, I find a lot of times when comedians ask me about how to write material, I go, well, never start with a blank page. Go back and finish the jokes you got. Right. And well, then yeah. all of a sudden you realize that you've been stretching and warming up for 20 minutes and, and all of a sudden after 20 minutes you realize I'm in a writing session. Well, yeah. Boom. You know, you have to warm up. You well, don't, I always don't say to young comics, if Stephen Wright just added an extra line to every joke, he'd double his act. Yeah. Because he's one lines, right? Yeah. It's like that's, you know, exactly. you want to find more material in time. Yeah. It's the quickest way to do it is to add. And, and plus I think there's a basic difference in philosophy. Like a lot of comedians, uh, especially the young ones, still think that they write jokes. And I always tell them, look, we don't write them, we find them. We're good detectives. Right. I mean, the good detectives are the good detectives. When something happens, every joke around it is waiting to be found. Right. You know, a perfect example is Taylor uh, Williamson, the kid who came in second on America's Got Talent, which, yes. to his credit, will be the highest a comedian ever comes on that show. Yes. They will never win that yes. show. But second place was, oh, man, that's worth a million bucks right there. But he had a joke about uh, his great, 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 grandparents finding out that they were first cousins and they married and the joke was uh it must have been weird at the wedding uh, the whole family on one side of the aisle yeah and i sat there and went oh jesus yeah how long has it been since the first joke about first cousins being married that joke's been sitting there going find me put me in your act right. and what taylor found him first right. oh man and i sat right. there and went oh i should have found that line. yeah i mean that's it's a, a, good a lot of those kinds of jokes yeah, yeah. You're like oh it's been there the whole time yeah so you know as detectives we go in we, we we find the clues we solve the case we go for a gold shield that's the good thing the hack comedians are the ones oh it must have been suicide the knife is in his back get away from the crime scene you're contaminated get away from the crime scene right oh man and it's the same thing on, on the other hand uh sometimes you know with the uh, hyena uh analogy too uh, somebody asked me oh do you have any um what's a guy uh what's it is it rob ford or bob ford the oh, mayor? rob ford mayor rob yeah. ford, yeah. ford. Goes, do you have any rob ford jokes and i go well no because that's like a big carcass on the serengeti and all the hyenas yes. are at the fucking car yes. i'm a lion See that antelope? I'm going to go eat that by myself. Right. Oh, and if the hyenas come over, okay, fuck off, I'm not finished. Right. And when I'm finished, there, you can have the scraps. <laughs> you know, like, well, it's like for me, I've never done political material because, <laughs> you know. one, I'm not that right up enough on it yeah, to take that, that much of a leap on stage yeah. in front of people. And, two, I've found that I only do well what I do. Yeah. And I might be socio-political. I might talk about themes or third-world hunger, but yeah. I won't talk about politics of the Ethiopia right at that moment right. or general themes for two reasons. One, like I said, I'm not well-read enough. And, number two, there are comics doing a better job of that. And I don't want to be eighth in line of being yeah. a political comic. I want to do what I do the best that I can do. And when I came up and, and I saw certain comics, it's just like 
like Will Hurst and other guys like that. It's just like it's it's not even a point for me to do it. It's yeah. like they're so good at it, I'm not going to go anywhere near it. Yeah, it's the same way. I remember it uh, uh, dawned on me, like, I was surprised uh, back in the uh, the heyday of the Ethiopia thing with sure. the famine and We Are the yeah. World and all that. They had a special benefit th- show down at Second City in Toronto one night. So I went down there. I was one of the few stand-ups that joined the show. And I did a whole bunch of stuff on Ethiopia about how we're so, you know, uh, what's the right word? We're so... Uh, so spoiled that you know we sit here and uh, you know Titled? yeah we have to oh i have to drive to 7-eleven to get something to eat oh my oh red light oh jesus yeah. whereas in africa it'd be like here's a spear there goes your lunch oh with the food that runs no fair <laughs> and like, oh i want a slurpee <laughs> well, no, I don't you know all that stuff and i did like 10 minutes on on being spoiled as as, as our culture and this this girl from Second City came up to me afterwards. And she goes, "I never knew that y- you could talk about something like important and have right. a message to stand up." And I felt like saying, "Was she what? female Woody Allen?" Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My one impression. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe it. Uh, it was amazing. You were talking about the actual Real subjects. Yeah. <laughs> it was. I was teary eyed, and. Uh, <laughs> I said, you know, I felt like saying to her, well, you never heard of Lenny Bruce? You never heard yeah. fucking Pryor? I mean, come on, right. man. Fuck. This right. is a surprise to you? Right. It would be like me saying, yeah, like improv. Yeah, I, I had three days with Jonathan Winters. Yeah, I fucking know what real improv is. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that you could actually come up with shit all the time. It's not just hands behind your back? Yeah. What, this improv? What? Oh, my God. But, you know, that's one thing uh, I blame on, uh, on Yuck Yucks. Is the the right from the get go back in the early eighties when I first came to Toronto, there was uh there was this moat between the second city and stand up. There was this war going on, you know, and there was no respect for each other. And I always thought that was ludicrous because yeah, what what they complained about, yeah, comics always do this, yeah, okay, I can give it to you. But you guys always end your fucking sketches, your improv with a vaudeville joke that I can point out who fucking wrote that. Right. I, can, I can go Milton Berle, nineteen fifty two, motherfucker. Right. You know, and they go who? And so yeah, those things aside, there shouldn't be this fight with us because we're in the same business for fuck's sake, and there should have been more of a. Well, with with the proliferation of other venues in Toronto and time, it's not the same as it was. No. Especially when I started. That gap, there's not even that much of a gap anymore. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, which is good. At the time, it bugged the shit out of me because I wanted to... I want to hang out with anybody who could talk comedy. Sure. You know, anybody that would laugh at the jokes. Hey, fuck, let's go. It's like back in high school. I was lucky. I blossomed. And I always had a crowd of people. My know? only thing with improv, and my only issue has ever been, I've said to every improv person I've ever talked to, the problem with improv, unlike stand-up, bad stand-up can still be funny because you can sit there and go, I can't believe this guy fucking thinks this is funny. Yeah. And there's still a charm to that and something funny. Yeah. You're laughing at him. But... Bad improv is just bad improv. It yeah. doesn't go anywhere. It just sits there and it dies yeah. a horrible death. And, and, and that's and, the problem. Yeah. And the thing, too, here's your three choices. You got Shakespeare on one side, years and years to come up with the exact wording that people, they, they, they go crazy if you change a fucking word in Hamlet. You know, right. they go, what are you doing? 
and then you have improv off the top of their head, or then you have somebody like Pryor in the middle who takes the time, masters it, puts it all together. And now, which one, which world do you want to stay in? Right. I want to stay in the middle one. Yeah. Thank you. But that's you yeah. and me and, and Dave. Uh, there's yeah. other people who want to live in either of the other ones. You know, because there is a mastery to saying every word the right exact way that it yeah. was there. I mean, it, it, it's not the world I yeah, want to live in. It, it truly was amazing. Say what you will about Rob Williams. You cannot deny the fact that he is a master technician because I remember seeing him twice in a row, two nights in a row in Catch a Rising Star in New York, uh, late 90s. I came in the first night and I watched him for an hour and I went, oh my God, this is amazing. Off the top of his head, oh man, fuck, that was brilliant. I don't know what people are talking about. You know, like the, the, the naysayers. I go, no, you can't deny this. Second night I came in and I went, holy shit. Well, it's exactly the same, yeah. It's like almost exactly the same, but... Yeah. He's he's like a good chess player. He's yeah, it's a force, two, but two still moves there. ahead of his opponent. Yes. You know, if, if he tries something and doesn't work, he knows he can find the first guy in, in in the first row with the funny hair and do the gay hairdresser bit, and then go back to the stuff he yes. wants to try again. He yeah. gets the audience it's like back. Like magic, it's a force. Goes, yeah, it's it goes force. back and forth. Yeah. So whether you like him or not, you can't deny. But in, in also in the mid-90s, I had the pleasure of spending three days with Jonathan Winters. It was for this stupid cable TV show that they wanted to shoot wraparound sketches, and all the material was about the family, and he was the host. So I got to spend three days with the guy. Not one repeated word on any fucking story that he told me. Right. Not one, and like all the time, bang, bang, bang. And I sat there and went, yeah, Robin Williams is great, but Jonathan Winters is the real deal. This guy well, I mean, even Robin real. would say that. I mean, wow. Robin yeah. always oh, tips yeah. his hat. You know to what I mean? It's like yes. wow. And, and and his tribute on the Emmys to Jonathan Winters yes. was great. Yes, I loved that one, and I loved the one uh, they did for uh, 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 what's it, the proper pronunciation? Gallifini. Uh, oh, Gandolfini. Yeah. Gandolfini. Uh, yeah. Sorry about the pronunciation, but uh, the guy from The Sopranos. Yes. The, 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 the his wife. The, the woman who played his wife. Uh, well, you know, we're all going to die. Tribute. That's yeah. the thing about this business. We're That's all going to nice. die, whether yeah. it's you know later in life or or now. Yeah, um, that was really nice. I, that that brought a tear to my eye, both of them. But it was so true. I mean, Jonathan Winters was man; he was amazing. But you know, he he told me these stories about how when he was a kid, his father was an alcoholic. He he'd go into the bar and he'd be left in the car. Yeah. So he'd look out the window and he'd see all these prostitutes and all these low lowlifes walking back and forth, and he would imitate them and interact with them, and you know that's how he got that dark, you know. But man, I, I remember him on the Dean Martin show and Johnny Carson. He'd walk out and they just hand him a prop and he'd go off on it for yeah. ten minutes. It's just like amazing. Like oh yeah, I just bought else. the uh, the Dean Martin roast at Costco of all places. All yeah. of them. You get a big box set for like twenty five bucks. You know, I'm like, oh, I love I'm those watch things. It. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, and and I remember it. It was such an honor. Same thing with the, with the uh, the the Phil Hartman Award uh, that they gave me at the mm. Comedy uh, Award. The few times that I had been with Phil, the, the, it was such an honor to make him laugh because it right. was a way of saying, "Well, thank you for the zillion times you've made me laugh, and thank you for not making me roll my eyes every time you're on TV." I mean, God, because we <laughs> we want to laugh just as much as anybody else, yeah, but it's yeah. hard for us because we're like magicians. Yeah. Unless you can pull something else than a rabbit out of the hat, we already fucking know how to do it, yeah. so it's not going to impress us. Well, it, I always compare to Phil the made of me Oz. laugh. We, we yeah, already know like who's crazy. behind the curtain. Yeah. If, if you're all you're going to show me who's behind the curtain, it's like big fucking deal. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's, it's, yeah. I was fine too. It's like you can't after you've been doing it for a while. You can't 
I'm not saying that you don't enjoy it as much, but you definitely you watch and you try to see where yeah. the jokes are going. And it, it it really takes a lot for me to sit back and yeah. like laugh and enjoy something. Because even if I'm watching a com- any comic I'm watching, I'm, I'm always like, oh, where's he going to go with this? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, uh, it's like uh, when when Willie Nelson talks about me and Bobby McGee, that song. He's always like, um, it's a Chris Christopherson song. But uh, I remember seeing a special about Willie Nelson, and he's talking about that song. He's like, well, fuck, why didn't I write that song? Everything I love is in that song. It's about traveling. It's about relationships, about women, all these things. And how can I just about, you know, f- talk about freedom and things? Uh-huh. He's like, why didn't I write that? And, uh-huh. and so it's, uh, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's bothersome sometimes because I'll go to see like a like if I if I go to see like a like a or if I'm at a show with a with a girl or something like that and she'll say well, you don't you didn't laugh once during that whole show or that movie or something like that I was like yeah well, I'm 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 enjoying it I'm smiling but I'm yeah. also at the same time I'm like wondering yeah. oh is he going to go here or and uh, you know you get and the one thing I, I, I you mentioned that uh, I thought was really cool was how we don't write stuff we find it yeah and that's what always bugs me when everyone talks about like whenever I hear someone say oh what a fucking waste of time that was. And it was like, well, you made it a waste of time. If you can't go back yeah. and look at that situation and find out something to draw from it, yeah. it's like, um, you know, I had, a, I had a case of kidney stones at one point, and it was... Uh, and it was funny because, like, I the, the day that it happened, like, the, and like the next day, I had like four or five jokes about it. And um, then about two years ago, I was in London, England, and I got mugged. Uh, <laughs> and it was a horrible. Oh, sorry thing. to laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all right. It's okay. Freud. But it's Whatever. one of those. But it's one of those things. Like, ever, ever and then uh, it was like, uh, oh well. well do you have any? Do you have any jokes about it? And there's still part of me that's like, you know, I'm still trying to find the yeah, funny part about exactly. it. Exactly. And it was I know like, that, you yeah. know, the, the funny was was I found it very quickly when yeah. I got kidney stones and these, <laughs> these, these two uh, these two doctors they had to like lift up the thing and they were going to poke around at me and I remember that uh, they looked over at my girlfriend who was in the room with me and they both kind of they were like, oh, do you want her to be here? And so <laughs> I, asked my, I asked my girlfriend to leave and when then when then the, when the doctors left and then she comes back in she was so pissed off off at me because I asked her to leave Uh, and then she was like what's the big deal I've seen you naked and I was like yeah, but I don't want you to see He's me naked with to two laser this thing. Get out. Yeah, with these two Korean dudes poking at my back. You know? I'm like, we don't I, need to share yeah. that. I, I, I've had three kidney stones. I've never written a drug on me because it just wasn't funny. It yeah. wasn't pleasant no, it, it, but, They but lasered I, the last one. They put me out. The only good thing about kidney stones is as soon as they find out that you have a kidney stone, they shoot you up immediately right. and with the greatest drugs. And that's And that's another thing. Drugs are not for recreation. They're for pain. You should right. save the experience when you fucking need them. Yes. Even though when I had kidney stones. When you're hurting, no pain, no pain. That's always been my creative. They shot me up with uh, gravel and, I think, morphine. Yeah. And, Morphine's uh, great uh, when you're in pain. And then Not uh, for Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm lying there, and then the nurse says, uh, well, now, um, I, I, we, we just put these into you, and then they were beginning to take an effect. Yeah. And then she said, uh, now, if you're still feeling a little bit more pain, we can come back and we can give you another dose. No. And I was feeling nothing. Uh, I was like feeling no pain at all. And I was sort of like, 
Uh, I'm still feeling a bit of pain. <laughs> like, how many times am I going to have that opportunity to be like, oh, so I'm going to have some more? And then uh, I remember my girlfriend, then they put like a second wave of the stuff in, and then just, it, it was like, it was like uh, Indigata DeVita started playing in my head. It was just uh, like, down, 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 down. And it was just like, okay, I, I get I get this. I can get right, this. groovy. <laughs> but I've always been one of those people who's like, I can't, I don't know if I could be like a full time. Uh, I'm just I'm too lazy to go out and look for drugs. That's yeah. always my thing. If I call one person and they're not there, <laughs> I'm not doing that tonight. All right. I'm too lazy to get all fucked up. Yeah. Uh, but would, uh, when, yeah. when uh, now I do the joke about yeah, the thing with drugs is uh, you know you just don't have the time to do the drugs anymore. Like acid, who has twelve hours in a row now? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I got to pick up the kids at three thirty. I can't be peeking when yeah. I pick up my kids. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Jesus. I still, I, I mean, I, I don't do drugs, but I, the one of my favorite drug jokes is by Paul Smith, and he says, uh, you know, if I had all the money that I ever spent on pot, I would get so high. I, yeah. <laughs> I just love that. It's such a cute little yeah. funny joke and it's it's true though and, and I, I i say uh you know d- d- the new drugs are a way of making you feel old you know like uh, you know i say like i'm an ex-drug addict and not an ex-drug i'm a former drug addict i never got around to taking ecstasy that <laughs> that came around after i quit doing hard drugs right. but you know there's that sense of you know feeling old and oh, oh there's a drug i didn't get around oh look at the kids oh they're having fun oh look <laughs> oh the, you, what you love everything oh that sounds like a great drug oh we should have quit later <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who has the joke about ecstasy to see but they're sort of like i they're like oh i i took it and uh oh it was amazing i loved it I, everything was beautiful yeah. and then i realized i cannot live my life with everything being beautiful <laughs> i gotta walk around pissed and angry because that's not me and yeah, the uh, love drug yeah i just the uh and i forget yeah. who had the quote but they were sort of like a uh, your brain's not a boomerang. You can't throw yeah. it out, and it's not always going to come back. Yeah, and that's just. That's a, I've never heard that quote before. But it's but it's that's one of those things. One. It's it's a, yeah, it's a it's a great one. And uh, there's you know back in the X days, there there was times where we had like thirty fucking people at the club at four in the morning, music cranked, everybody in acid. Like right. everybody, right? I mean, people you would never think would drop acid. They were on, thirty of us, right? The same trip. The whole club was just. But all of a sudden, there's a bang on the door, and and Lawrence Morgenstern goes to answer the door, and it's the cops. And going, hey, what's all that noise, man? And then I walk up, and they go, hey, Mike Donald, hey, don't. Well, it's, yeah, it's my birthday, where I'm there through a little party for me. Oh, well, just turn down the music a little bit, because you can hear it from outside and on the street. Hey, happy birthday, Mike. And they close the door, and everybody's sitting there, like, with that shocked face, like, acid, like, we thought we were going to get busted. And I turn to them, and I go, and it was right after the Mel Brooks movie, I went, it's good to be the king. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. And they went, oh, and that's it. We should probably wrap things <laughs> yeah, up. We, we, gotta, we, we had shows to do tonight, too. I think yeah. you got something you can use here. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got lots. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to try. I mean, some of it will end up on radio, and then the rest of it will end up on the uh, podcast that we do. But if you could send me a copy, rough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, there's, there's moments where I would still... I just because I've known Simon for a, I've known Simon Rakoff for a long time, yeah. uh, but uh, there's those, and it's and it's it would be I would like to sort of see Simon Rakoff on acid. There's a part of me oh, that yeah. would kind of wonder what oh, that's yeah. like, but I also know that too. It's like because uh, I haven't done I haven't done acid in probably about ten <gasps> years, oh, but uh, it's but yeah. it is one of those things where I'm just like I, I just know that I can't do that. Anymore. One more thing that I got to tell you. 
that if you can pass this on to people, if sure. you try it, it's amazing. At the end of our acid trip, Sunday morning, back in the mid-'80s, Toronto TV was terrible. The only thing on was basically the religious shows. You right. Know? And it was Jimmy Swagger back in his Bible thumping. Oh, I remember those, yeah. The heyday. Yeah. What we would do is we'd turn down the sound on Jimmy Swagger, and we put on a comedy album, a Yiddish comedian, like uh, Myron Cohen or something like <laughs> oh, that, yeah, yeah. that has that yeah. timing. Yeah, Jackie Mason or whatever. Yeah, Jackie Mason. And we crank up that. And you'd be amazed at how many times the synchronicity between the movement. Right. You know, what the gay guys say when they put him in the electric chair. <laughs> I like to blow the fuse. <laughs> <laughs> boom. You know, it's like boom. And Jimmy Swagger would be hitting his Bible just the on the punchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd swear to God, oh, my God, it's all show business. Yeah. So at the time, there was no Internet and stuff. We couldn't mm. put it out. And if we had filmed it ourselves and put it out, they'd sue the shit out of us. Now, yeah. somebody well, out there like listening movie. right now can go and get the tape put it together and put it out on the internet yeah well it's like the wizard it's the of oz funniest fucking thing you've ever seen man you know yeah. that right yeah the, the synchronicity yeah. you'd be amazed at how many times they sync up to the the, the oh. timing of telling jokes pre-internet it's all show business people pre-internet it's i used all to watch showbiz. all those religious shows i mean at 11 o'clock on uh f- channel 47 which was out of toronto which is now omni yeah they had the tammy uh and uh jim baker jim yeah. baker oh, i they watched were it every hysterical. night Every night I watched it, she'd cry, she'd sing two songs... They'd bring out a kid like a Philomena, <laughs> Phil Hart- baby. Phil Hartman did the uh, Baker. Did he really? Oh yeah, and uh, what's it? Um, uh, uh, Janine or Jean uh, or some? Uh, forget the 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 girl that was in the same time period. She played Tammy, and oh, she uh, always had the running makeup. Julia oh, Sweeney. Oh, SNL. Yes. Yeah, SNL. Um, uh, I'm blanking on. Oh, her Julia, name. Julia Sweeney. No, 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 not no. Nora Dunn. No, she was, no. No, she was no, fucking the thin amazing. One. The thin she one. She was in and Simon she, Birch. She yeah. was in Simon Birch yeah. as well. And she was Fuck, on that uh, Designing Women show, yes. I think, too. Uh, I'll figure it out right God, now. What was her name? But I, I used to watch I'm it all the time. Because she yeah, was great. She was a, a utility player, too. I thought you meant too. Phil Hartman went on the actual Oh, Jan show. Hooks. No, no. Jan, Jan Hooks. Hooks. That's it. Yeah. Jan Hooks. Look Fuck her up. She's Whatever funny. Whatever happened to her, man? She was so fucking funny. I know. Here's the thing. I never understood about this business. Is that here's someone she was fucking the, the, hysterical. The women never get their due. I know, multi-talented, and then she just fell off the face of the I earth. I know it's weird. Like she was in Simon Birch, yeah. which uh, you know is a terrible movie because it's it's Owen Meany. Yeah, I wonder bad. about her because man, I I had she a crush on her at the time. Man. It's like the, you know the girl great. from Glee, uh, Jane Lynch, right? Yeah. She was in all the Christopher yeah, Guest movies, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Then for exactly. a period of time, she was in nothing. Yeah. And then I saw her in this stupid detergent commercial. I get it; it pays big yeah. bucks. You're paying the rent. Yeah. But I remember literally screaming at my television, my wife going, "She's fucking funny, and she's in a stupid yeah. goddamn fucking detergent commercial." Okay, luckily Glee came out. Now yeah. she's a big star again. But without that, she'd be fucking yeah. doing detergent. She was hilarious. Well, it's like I see Amy Sedaris doing like commercials for Tide. Yeah, and I think Amy yeah. Sedaris is so hilarious. But, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it, it, but that's the thing. It's sort of like yeah. people don't be like, oh hey, but you, you can't the- you can't begrudge them paying the mortgage. Oh no no no, and this because I've I've done plenty of mortgage tours. When I, <laughs> when I moved to LA in '99, um, I was illegal, but I still got a couple auditions, and I'll never forget the first audition I got was a shitty Kia commercial. And I'm sitting in the waiting room, and I'm going, "This is fucking just great." Even if I get this commercial, I can't do it. This is so fucking stupid. I'm here. I'm like, you know, being bitter, Darren, like always. And the door opens, and fucking Greg Proops walks in and sits down beside me, and I'm like, 
what is fucking wrong with this business? Yeah. But fucking Greg Proops is sitting here in this shitty fucking Kia commercial audition. Yeah. And I'm the one bitching and complaining about it, sitting beside Greg Proops. Yeah. And he's like, hey, man, how you doing? Like, he seemed nice and yeah. happy. Hey, he's hey, like, hey, I hope I get this uh, Kia commercial, yeah. you know? But I hear it's like, big bucks. It's, you know, if it goes grand. national, it's big bucks. Grand, you know, like... And and those are the best gigs. What you call the mailbox checks? Yeah. I mean, oh, Jesus. oh yeah. Residuals. I mean, oh, that's the best. But you know, I used to. Ha- I had my run. I did a lot of commercials up here. Yeah. And then yeah, I, I, I did a for the early nineties. I was in a couple of films, like two or three lines here and there. And then all of a sudden, I start to recognize all the other guys that had two oh, or three yeah. lines. And there's guys out there that make a million or two a year just by doing three or four lines in four or five major movies yes. every year. Yeah. The guy at the counter that says, "Oh, officer, he went that way." Yeah. That guy gets fifteen hundred bucks. Yes. Every every two or three months just yes. for that one fucking line. Yeah. Yeah. And so now, so you, if if you can handle not being a big star, if you don't have an ego problem, right. you can make a living. Great. Yeah. You're in the business, and you get to hang out. And when is uh, live comfortably? That's all you want. We're not greedy. When is Mr. Nice Guy coming out on DVD? Never. Never? <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd love to see it again. Wait, I, haven't, I haven't seen it in a million years. Which one's Mr. Nice Guy? Because I, I just, well, I remember uh, there was one. It was knocked off because uh, uh, Jackie Chan came out with a movie called Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. yeah. So you have to really look for the alternate Mr. Nice Guy. I haven't seen it in a zillion I have, years. I have a VHS copy, and I have a friend that's going to It could have been funny, it. but that. A perfect example, Mr. Nice Guy, heroin addict, all the way through. Right. There were scenes where they wanted me to take off my shirt, and I go, no, you don't want me to take off my shirt. <laughs> you don't want to see my arms right Wh- now. Which one was Sorry. the one? I remember when the, like, the Canadian... Uh, like yeah, when the Canadian Movie Networks first came out, there was like you know, like first choice and yeah, Super well, Channel and stuff like that. Yeah. And there was like a, was and I guess they had to show a certain amount of Canadian oh, yeah. films, definitely. And there was one where. Uh, I think you might have been playing a comic in it. Anyways, the, oh, you, were the, 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 you were in a coffin, and you got out of the it coffin. It was originally called Funny Farm. Now it's called The Comics. And it was the guy who co-wrote with, um, uh, God, his name was Clark. God, again, why am I, you know, First name brain Clark? Fog. No, last name Clark. Bruce Clark? Bob Clark, I think. Oh, Bob Clark, Porky's. Yeah, and he yeah. he co-wrote uh, with uh, uh, Mel Brooks a lot of his films. And... Uh, he wanted to do the script in L.A., but they wouldn't let him. So he he was from Montreal. So he said, I'll do it in Canada. Yeah. So he recast everybody. I got the role of Andy Kaufman. And that's the character I played in the movie. And, uh, I do remember it, that it was movie. okay. It was funny. Yeah, I um, And then you, there was something that was a, in that movie. Uh, um, you had a thing about renting parents for your funeral. Yeah, or yeah like I, I, I faked my own death and then popped out of the coffin. Typical yeah. Andy Andy Kaufman kind of move, and uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> and uh, the the, gr- the greatest thing about that is I got to meet uh, Eileen Brennan and made her laugh and had a bond with her right away. It was like a mother son thing immediately happened, and I always uh, always look out for her. I did. She, um, she's had some health problems lately too. So I did a movie called Hairspray, and I got to have lunch every single day. I wish I could remember what this guy's name is. He was in the Bob and Doug movie. He um. He was around like a comic back in the day. He was a door guy. Oh, shit. I think I know what you mean. Um, let me just look it up on IMDb because we got Because Hairspray, ironically, literally yes, last night I was looking up the soundtrack because there was a, a, a song called um, 
No one can take the place of you yes. by somebody yep. Toussaint, something like this black guy. Yep. Great fucking song. And you know, John Waters Paul always something. gets the great soundtracks for his movies. He picks obscure stuff. Paul yeah. Dooley. Paul, Paul Dooley. Dooley, yeah, that's so it. I had lunch with Paul exactly. Dooley for like 20 days. And it's fucking unbelievable the knowledge that like he went the door stories with when Lenny Bruce was in New York yeah. and he did stand up. It, it kills me people that don't like. I remember the, uh, the very first thing I ever did on HBO, the Young Comedian Seventh Annual Young Comedian yeah, yeah. Show, hosted by Alan King. That's when I first met him. I remember after the show, sitting at a bar, he had a couple of drinks, and I'm, he's telling me all these stories. And the other guys on the show, they're they're outside looking at yeah. me like going, uh, well, "Come and hang out with us." And I'm going, yeah, "Well, you should be in here listening yeah. to this." Yeah. And he told me all these great stories. He told me about you know, yeah, I did a movie with uh, Al Pacino, author, author. Every day Al would walk around like bewildered, going, "I, I don't understand Al. What the the comedy is it work? I don't." Like, he goes, "Al." You say this, I say that. <laughs> the audience laughs. What's the mystery? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going. This guy had a. Is ton. he still alive, Alan King? Uh, uh, I don't know if he is. I'm not sure. Shit, I think he died recently. But I, yeah, I loved I, him. I, I think he died because his, I remember being him sad and, about and it. Robert Klein, all those guys from that. Yeah, Robert Klein was another guy that the, that when I met him, when he was hosting, uh, he had his own uh, stand-up show. I was on there a couple times. Was that the stand-up and stand-up sit-down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember talking to him and everything, and, you know, I said to him, you're so funny, like, you know, not to, you know, be disparaging or anything, but, you know, what, what how come you didn't, like, and he goes, well... I guess I just wasn't that ambitious. And I go, yeah, but you're a funny motherfucker. Ooh, that's, that's Robert sure. Klein? Yeah. Yeah. And I go, he, he was funny. And and he does great acting. I mean, yeah, he no, he does, yeah. Movie. What was the last time I saw him was in that Hugh Grant movie. Alan he King is With Sandra dead. Pollock. Yeah, Alan, Alan King, King died yeah, in 2004. Yeah, yeah I remember being sad about that. Yeah. He was a nice, every time he saw me, I was surprised that he remembered my name, let alone tell me another 15 stories i also do admire guys that uh, that sort of that can in some way can walk away with it and they don't like they're they're either if if they're walking away because they're confident enough that they don't need that sort of uh ego rub anymore yeah. and 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 they don't sort of worry about like no i know i'm funny yeah. i don't need to do well, it for well people. it's it's like a good boxer knowing when to step away before he gets brain damage yeah. right there's that aspect to it too you know so you have you have to applaud that, but there's, but there's some guys. It's like you know Bill Murray, perfect example of a guy that continually since day one, people have always wanted more, yeah, more and more, and he can't give us enough. Yeah, you know I would watch him yeah. all day, but he picks and chooses his thing, and you can't begrudge the guy. You can't go up to him and go, hey, how come you're not making me laugh all the fucking time? You know, well, he's the he reason could. there's no Ghostbusters three, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Well, they you know they still, have, yeah. they still have. That's a bad thing. They still. I remember you brought up Ghostbusters when they first came out. The first lesson I learned about print media, they had a big spread on the three major stars, right? Harold Ramis, you know, John, and then uh, it said Dan Aykroyd, one line. Dan Aykroyd does not do print interviews, and I went, oh, that son of a bitch. At first, I went, oh, that fucking asshole. But then later, you know, after I had so many problems with print interviews, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, now I understand you, Dan, thank you. Know, yeah. I'm sorry I misjudged you. Yeah, you were correct. You were smart. The worst print yeah. interviews. The oh, yeah. worst. I think that movie actually was supposed to be Eddie Murphy, Belushi, and Aykroyd. Something, yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, Belushi died, and then Eddie Murphy just, uh, I think, got too big for it. And, yeah, uh, Bill Murray had to step in for Belushi. That was... Uh, 
Well, Bill Bill Murray, he was, he was on the Letterman show a couple weeks ago, and he came out in like the Liberace outfit because ah. they, they just had the uh, behind the candelabra. But he was still oh, yeah. still really funny on panel. He was hilarious. He did the old lounge singer. Um, uh, I guess, yeah, he did the old lounge singer character, and uh, John Belushi was another one that uh, I remember meeting him just before he was in training for that uh, movie he did with Blair Brown. Um, it was his first drama. Oh, Continental Divide. Oh. Yeah, that's yeah. it, Continental Divide. And it was right after Lenin was assassinated, so it was a really you know dark time to be around anybody. But he was another one that, again, you know. Think of the years of stuff that we could be enjoying. Now, did you ever spend any time in New York? Like, I know you went to L.A., but a little did you bit. ever spend time in New York? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, for a while there, it was my home for a little while, but uh, New York's tough, man. I had the worst review of my career in New York. Oh, Jesus. Just, oh, really? Just ripped me a good one. And not only me, but Canada in general. If this is an example from Canadian comedy, they can go back to the moose and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, oh, my God. But can you ever look back Nightmares at a time and a review where you got trashed or whatever or slammed and now go now read it go um you know it's a bit harsh but they're not that far off the mark um sometimes i mean yeah. there was one guy that nailed me for trying to be likable like he said oh if i if i see one more comic trying to trying to be out there going please like me and uh, you know so now i can look back and go, yeah to a point but you know he used kennison as the other side of it right right why can't more people be like kennison well, you don't want to be like Ken, Kennison no. 100%. Great guy and everything. But, sure. But at the end, you know, and, and the irony, the sadness of Sam Kennison, he was straight at the end. He was coming back. I know he, he was, was making, yeah, sober. And ironically, gets hit yeah. by a fucking truck yeah. with two fans. Yes. Driving the truck. Yes. You know, but, you know what the fuck, you know. Yeah, irony, 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 irony. I know. Boom. God's favorite humor is irony. Always said.